you are listening to Trophy Horse with your hosts, Tricky Mick, Alex, I Yield to No One, Sid, and Ender Phoenix. Everybody and welcome to Show Viewers. This is episode 592. I'm your host, Tricky Mick. Alongside with me, the man, the myth, the legend, it's Alex. Man, you know, it feels good to get back to Darksiders. I'm having a lot of fun with Darksiders Genesis, and, uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm not betting on it, but I hope we get a fifth game. <laughs> what, what, he brings the awesome. What are you laughing at? It's, I, you, oh, was that, was that our guest? No, no, that was me laughing, but I'll, I'll explain why I'm laughing after I do all the intros. I was going to say, I didn't want to get up, bring- uppity with our guests, but with you, Tricky, I'll get uppity all the time. Oh, great, thanks. He brings you awesome, it's I yield to no one. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to be back, and as always, the Sony Pony is leading the show. <sighs> I'm not the only Sony Pony in this place, okay? No, so let's no, just be clear. Let me check. Yeah, you are. Negative. And we have a very special guest. She is a true friend of mine. Even though she works for the dark side of the force, it's Ro. How are you? I'm good. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back on the show. Ro, uh, I'm going to give you a few minutes. I didn't tell you about this, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, I'm going to give you a few minutes to explain to our listeners who you are, what you do. Um, so we can be transparent, and because there's going to be a topic later in the show that you're obviously not going to be able to talk about. Yes. So I want to be upfront with our listeners to you know so they know what you do, and also what you do on the internet as well. Absolutely. So, so the hi, floor is yours, everybody. Thank you so much, Tricky, for giving me the time. Uh, I am BC Row. I am one half of Black and Pat that uh, streams on Twitch. Uh, formerly the Eshcash, which was a podcast that I did for 13 years with my sister on video games, tech gadgets, and anime from a uniquely black perspective. And now on Black Compat, we play a bunch of different games that we enjoy with the community, but we also do a podcast which right now is on hiatus, but is coming back called The Tribunal, where we talk about the entertainment industry through the lens of diversity, representation, and inclusion, because those issues are near and dear to my heart for many reasons that you guys who are viewing this can see. Um, Additionally, professionally, for the thing that pays for all my goodies and whatnot here, uh, I work in games marketing at Xbox, uh, and I have been uh, there for uh, almost a year and a half now, uh, which is amazing, and I primarily work on Bethesda titles and marketing them. So uh, there's a bunch of titles that are out there right now (laughs) uh, that I may have uh, worked on their global marketing campaigns. So yeah, that's that's who I am. That's what I do. I'm a big nerd. And um, yeah, let's talk about some stuff. I was going to say, I was pretty sure I saw Rochelle's name in uh, the credits for a rather big game recently, so... Yes, yes. It was was very nice uh, to see my name credited there, because I had no idea that it was going to happen. And then I found out that I've been credited in a few other games as well, so I'm like, hey, look at me. How many more before I can get an IMDb page? All right, listeners, get started on that. Make her IMDb page now. Get her Wikipedia page as well. You know, I tried to start a Wikipedia page for Proving Gamer, and we got denied. 
Yeah, I tried to start one for Ashen. Same thing. So I was like, you know what? I don't even need to be on your wikis anyway. So they they said we didn't uh, we didn't have enough credible sources. I'm like. A website that's been around for 12 years, a podcast has been around for just as long, but that's not a credible source. It's, like, yep. it's not like it's not like we just started a uh, a, a page and like, oh, let's get on Wikipedia, sell, sell false information and scam people. Oh, you got 100 followers on YouTube? You think you deserve a wiki page? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ro, just so you know, we, uh, you are literally the second person only that we've ever done this for, but if you look on Twitch, we... I. Put up all our uh, PSN profile cards and say our trophies. I did not do that for you. I gave you a Gaber card. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. I'm so touched. So, Ro has her own gamer card. Uh, it's, it's, it's because my, my PSN card is pretty lame. <laughs> well, that and you also have your trophies hidden, so. I, yeah. Uh, listen, so, so the short story about that really quickly is that um, about Four or five years ago, uh, I actually had a really bad um, stalker on PSN. Um, and uh, reported What's his name? Let, let me know. You don't need to do that. Um, reported all kinds of stuff and nothing really happened. Uh, and so I just went nuclear on my account and locked it all the way the hell down. Um, so that's why. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to bring up. It's not Trump. You know, sometimes you just have to like block out the world for your own safety and harmony. Uh, I, I just thought it was because you're working for the evil empire now that you you know you yeah. don't want anything showing that you have a PlayStation. No, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Rochelle doesn't work for that. <laughs> on the internet. You talk about yeah, the Yeah, really. Oh, it, I, yeah. No. <laughs> I didn't say the evil empire, I said the evil empire. Is EA even considered the worst team or the worst studio now? Game company? We also have to remember that since think- Rode does work for Microsoft, she probably can't be saying stuff about third-party <laughs> partners. Um, I don't know. Maybe just for a long time, EA <laughs> did carry that that uh, that name, that tag. But these days, I don't know. They People may see them too inept to be, to be evil. Um, John Riccatello is no longer there, so uh, he's fucking things up for Unity. So maybe they don't dislike uh, EA as much as, as people think. Hey, they did give us Dead Space remake. That's pretty awesome, right? Dead Space remake is awesome. Scared sure. the absolute patootie out of me. I can't play it, so, but I watch people play it. And then go, ah. That's when you know you got a good survival horror game. And yeah, yeah. And again, I will say, even when, when you can, when people know it's not real and they can't get hurt by it, but yet they still get so like intimidated by it, that's pretty good work. Sound design, sure. he, he, sound design, scary monsters. It all works pretty well in Dead Space. That's why it's the best remake of the year. I said it. Best remake of the year. The, the, I think the last scary game I played was um, Inside. Was it Inside? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a thriller horror game. The one yeah. you, you, where you're... Cre- I, I, it's, it's by the, I walked all the way to the right and then got, and then got uh, impaled by a spider leg. And I was like, oh, I'm done. Though. Oh, Limbo. Inside is also Limbo. made by that team. I played it, I'm pretty yep. sure. But you're thinking of Limbo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I walked all the way to the right side of the screen. Big spider leg came out and impaled me. I was like, all right, I'm done with this game. That you were going to say kill with fire, Tricky. No, I'm not playing that game. It was game. recently on sale. Do you get to take out yeah, all of yeah. your frustration and anger on the spiders? Yeah, but I have to look at spiders. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that, Tricky. I, I, don't, I don't deal with spiders. I'm actually allergic to spider venom. They make me 
physically ill if they bite me. So just just no spiders, no no creepy crawly things. Just no. I, I told my daughter if I see a spider in my house, we're just going to have to burn the house down and start all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Don't begin to any insurance fraud schemes. I heard nothing. I, 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 I just heard a bunch of beeps. I heard Charlie Brown's teacher for a second. What, that you were going to burn all the right, house let's down d- if you had a soft spider? I heard it all. I, d- Tricky, I, we're trying I, to, keep, to keep you teacher. from admitting to crimes on the podcast. It's not a good look. Listen, I've done worse on this show. Oh, I can admit to that. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we talked about it at the end of last week's show. Or in the after chat. Did we? It was in the after chat. I, I was I was more talking about the uh, the Audi situation. That's what I was talking about. Well, yeah, the mirror. See, that I, you, that I, you I tried to, to keep it... I, I, try, I tried to keep it general, and you just like, well, fuck it, just well, then don't right out in the open. Yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. No, Yil did it perfect. Yil was like, yep, that's what I was talking about. And that's where it could have ended. Nope. Alex had to go, you mean the mirror? You literally said it on the show, play by play what happened. Yeah, you did. If anyone screwed you, Tricky. It's yourself. Yeah, yeah. Bro, help me. Uh, I didn't listen to the show, so I don't have a informed opinion to share. See, there you go. Why don't you, why don't you um, tell Ro the story? And then she can, but she can defend. All I will say is friends uh, don't out friends. I'm just saying, plausible deniability. Thank you. Updated trophy counts. I am level 891, total trophies of 29,225 with 811 platinums. I have a new platinum. Alex? Well, I guess we'll we'll get to that when we uh, talk about what we've been playing, huh, Tricky? It's probably some rat spam. That, no, I, that's I probably know how because you shared it on the, uh, that, in one of the groups. That's how we've been doing it for 592 episodes, that is right? absolutely not how we've done it for 592 episodes. We've waxed waned <laughs> on that. Uh, we, we'll, we'll keep, that is true. We'll keep charging forward on this one. I am level 495 with a total trophy count of 9,404 with a planet count of 160 and 159 games on the verge of yet another one, but not quite. Yield? 502 with a trophy count of 9,827 and a platinum count of 176. Uh, I, I've been tasked by Matt G to report that he is level 218, total trophies of 1,277 with zero plats, and he was ashamed to say that he earned four trophies, two of them, for literally just walking forward in a game. He he was so embarrassed he didn't want to be on the show. He said that he was taking the week off because he was in such embarrassment that he got two trophies for walking forward. So, Yeah. Row oh, your trophy hilarious. count. Uh, all right, let's do this. So I am uh, level 160 uh, with 546 trophies, no plats. We got to we got to work on that. Row. Wait, hold on. You go. didn't you didn't you put a gamer card up for, her, but you didn't give her the gamer score. You didn't try to find her gamer score. I was literally about to ask her what her gamer score was. Oh, it's over forty thousand. It's somewhere in there. My problem is I have multiple handles, so I have the handle that I stream on, and then I have my personal handle, and my personal handle is much higher than my stream handle. Look at her be all fancy with her handles. Hey, Sid, you got to separate Sid. church and state, man. <laughs> yes, you do. Le- yes, you do. <laughs> Sid is level 875, total trophies of 25,792 with 814 platinums. That's mofo passed me again. I'm going to have to... <laughs> I might have to turn on the PlayStation 5 and get four plats just sitting here while we record just so I can finish the show in the lead again. The last time you said that, it took you almost a week to pass him. 
You know what? Them's fighting words. That's fine. I hope you I, just heard. I called it. I, I called him. I called him out the last time. He showed me his screen. He was earning trophies as we were playing, as we were recording. About halfway in, he gave up, and then like a week later, he's like, "Look, they said it couldn't be done." I passed Sid, and it was like it took you long enough. What are you talking about? He tries to defend himself, and we're all like, "No, you said you were going to do it during the show." So yeah, I'm going to call you out again. You need three. I, I tried. I tried. I, tr- I tried to help. And you got to keep you, the show you, moving. That's fine. I, I'm just setting up the camera so you can see this happen in real time. I'm not going to watch it. Uh I, I I had to drop the agenda down to the camera. So hold on. Back to the agenda. All right, Alex. What have you been playing, sir? Well, like I said, uh, well, the usual Rocket League. Uh, we got a, a day or so left in the double XP event, so I'm trying to hit that hard to get my uh, rocket pass up. So I have to do less work on the back end when it comes to the season, getting XP and getting rewards. So been been playing a little bit of that every day. Uh, but really, the the meat is where I've been spending most of my time is Darksiders Genesis. And uh, yeah, I've beaten the game, gone through on the normal run, beaten a couple levels on Apocalyptic, basically just doing trophy cleanup at this point. I uh, I beat um, uh, Wicked Killington, who makes his return as a mini boss or a secret boss in this game as well. Uh, and in Dark Souls Genesis, like obviously it's a prequel, so um, to the first game. So by the end of the, the this game, you know it's like, hey, you're basically sending war off to Earth to continue on with the first Dark Souls game. But Samael, uh, Abaddon. And uh, uh, Volgrim, like all these characters are there, so it, it's it, it's good. It, like it feels like home. Like even though it's a different style, it's a, it's a change up of the gameplay, uh, which I think fits really well for you know pairing Strife and War together and doing a co op experience. Uh, it's good to see all these characters back and have Volgrim be the shopkeeper, so I can hear him say all his creepy things while I give him souls and, and boatman coins to uh, strengthen my character. Uh, but overall, I really like Darksiders Genesis. It's nice to see them pivot off of Darksiders Three, which was a disappointment of a game. Um, and, you know, hopefully this game was successful enough to lead to a fifth game. I don't know. Uh, but the game was done by um, former vets of Vigil Games. Um, they started um, uh, Airship Syndicate, which did this. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Joe, I, I, I'll have to look it up. But the, the guy who basically started Vigil Games was the head of Vigil Games, also was the head of, of Airship Syndicate. So the uh, the people who made the Darksider series in the first place are, were also behind this game. So it was just nice to see the... Uh, um, how much uh, they just wanted to get the fourth game out. You know, they could have stopped at three. They could have actually stopped at two, but they've gotten four games out. So I feel like they've they've done right by the series uh, in the end. So I was glad to see that. And uh, again, it is, it is right. co-op. So if anyone wants to play it, I do have it. Uh, it's uh, on PlayStation Plus Extra. So if you need help, I can totally help you. So I got into that game, but I stopped playing it. Like maybe like an hour or two in, I don't remember why. Uh, it is a um, <coughs> uh, Metroidvania style game, so it's not as bad as like Jedi Fallen Order, where you have these big open spaces and you have to remember exactly where to go. Like this game, like it pops like icons on the maps. Like there's a dungeon map for every area, so when you find that dungeon map, it shows you locations of all the collectibles and everything, so you'll know where you have to go back. But you will have to go back to a level at least twice, every level or most levels at least twice to get everything because you do get to a point later in the game, uh, chapter eleven or, or twelve, where you finally have all of the powers and you can go back to say like level two to get everything. So. I'm not a huge fan of the uh, 
Metroidvania style games, but in this game it works just well. It works better than, say, Axiom Verge 2 and in Jedi Fallen Order because the game basically tells you where all the collectibles are, so you don't have to do a a giant uh, seek and find. Uh, The the guy's name, and I I will butcher this, but Joe Madurera, like I said, but basically he's the guy who's uh, huge in visual games and is running Airship Syndicate, so um, good to see the people um, of, of Vigil are continuing on and uh even though thq closed that uh they can still do their work and make good games i really enjoy that people can uh, pivot and be still be successful so that's awesome uh yield sir rather yeah. short little spiel for me this week what have you been playing uh not much over the last couple of weeks uh oh, i closed it oh there it is I uh, played some Sniper Elite 5 to help Nitro get his last multiplayer trophy, and then he helped me get mine. Uh, I fired up Deep Rock Galactic, played a little bit of that, a little bit of Rocket League, um, some Borderlands, the pre-sequel, worked on that Friday, and uh, still doing mop-up on Red Dead 2. Getting 100% is uh, taxing, to say the least, but... Well, yes, it's it. a it's a Rockstar game, Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead. I feel like you know what you're signing up for before you even play those games. Yeah, but this one's way more than what Red Dead was. Like Red Dead wasn't bad. This one is way more involved. When it well, they to they the figure game. they got to keep you playing the game so you don't get tired of it. They want you to to, to stay on it and play it for as long as you possibly can. It's got to be over 100 hours for the Platinum Trophy in Red Dead Two, right? Oh, absolutely. I think I'm pushing 300 over the years. Three hundred. Now we're getting we're getting into like what Valhalla territory there with uh yeah that's a lot that's a lot uh, anything else you nope that's it <coughs> and Ro what have you playing dear yeah so uh I've been playing Starfield and uh, Starfield and then also uh, Starfield I think I have. Probably at this point, I don't know. What is 12 days <laughs> map out to? It's like pushing three, 315, Hold on. 315 hours. Let me get out the old calculator. So, yeah, 288. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's out there. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah. Um, you're asking You're you're asking Alex to do math. That's... Listen, I don't have a calculator and I don't math. I tell great stories. That's what I do. Um <laughs> Just ask my credit score. I'm really bad at, at balancing out a checkbook. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've got a ridiculous amount of time in that game. I'm probably, when all said and done, probably going to do five New Game Plus runs. So I'm, I'm probably going to tap out at about 500 hours in the game total. Uh, and then I'll switch over to Mirage uh, because I love Assassin's Creed and I really, really, really want Mirage to be what I've been missing in that franchise. So that's what's up next. But uh, right now, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in space a lot. Yeah, I, I started playing Mirage myself. Um, not too far into it right now. But, uh, sorry, trying to find the next game real quick. Uh, <laughs> focus, focus, Tricky. Sorry. Uh, but I've been playing Humanity. Have, uh, have any of you guys played Humanity yet? I have not, no. But it was it was a PlayStation Plus game, was it not, recently? Yeah, I believe it was one of the games we got on day one, too. An essential PlayStation Plus essential free game? 
Yeah, I, I believe it was. I'm not totally sure. Um, that and uh, the new season for the division came out when they uh, dropped the uh, a new incursion. So I've been trying to work my way through that. Man, that thing's hard as balls. Even for you, like I thought you were topped out as far as experience and levels go, and you were helping people grind it, thirty levels in one in one go. It it don't matter. It's I I right now I can't even get past the second boss in the incursion. So, um, and yield. Yes. I just passed Sid. Hmm. Okay. I do it before the end of the show. I did it before we're done. We talk about what we're playing. Yeah, I'd be proud of that. I am proud of. Okay, it. you're the only one. Uh, but I got the platinum in humanity. Uh, it's a it's a fun little puzzler. Like it makes you think, and I'm very proud to say that I've only I only had to use one guide video. Um, and that's only because I had to use the guide video because it the game. The game explains to you what you have to do, but there was one level where it did not explain the new power and exactly what it did. Mm-hmm. So you had to start the level and then figure out the power as it goes, but you would lose so quickly if you didn't know how to use that power immediately that I kept dying. So I didn't even have a chance to learn. And after about failing it 20 times, I was like, all right, let me just look up to see exactly like how to get my foot in the tip my toe in the water so I can at least figure out what to do. But really good game. Really makes you think. And I'm very proud that I was able to get through all of them. Only using the one guide video. Um and I mean there's a good story in there too. Which is weird, but to say that, but there's a really good story in there. Um but yeah, I, I've already started on the PlayStation 4 version of it because I love the game so much that I'm going back through that. Uh, and like I said, I was playing Mirage. My one gripe about Mir- Mirage is they kept the attack button as R1. And I don't like that. Um, I'm having, I'm finding the combat to be a little harder this time. Um, maybe that's just because I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game in a while and I'm just... I, I'm not used to the, the fights because in the old style uh, Assassin's Creed games, there was always the, you parry, you know, everybody gets in a circle and you basically wait for somebody to attack. You parry them and then you kill them. This one, as you're fighting one dude, six dudes behind you are swinging away. And it's it's hard to wait for the guy that you're fighting to, to parry him when you got to dodge the six guys behind you. So, so, so it's uh, more like uh, Ghost of Shima. Where if you go into – it's not like you know they feed you. It's like if you go into a group of people and you try to fuck around, you'll find out and they'll mess you up. Yeah, but see, Ghost of Tsushima was – is different than the fact that like if, if, I'm, like, uh, if I'm facing one dude and the, and the dude behind me goes to attack, I can hit the parry button and it will parry the guy in the back. Like you automatically switch to that guy. It doesn't do that. It, it only focuses on the, the guy you're facing. So you basically have to dodge out of the way. And the problem is, is that when you dodge out of the way, yeah, now you're out of danger, but now they go and circle you again. So you can't, you can't focus just on the guy in front of you and wait for an opening because you got six guys behind you 
I mean, it's realistic. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's like this is the way fighting should be in the game. It's like an, an AI should not wait for you to say, okay, after you're done killing that guy, then I'll fight you. No, like your back's turned to me. Let me take the quick, let's take the cheap shot. But it's just, it, I, I understand I'm explaining the first world problem, but it's just, it's annoying right now. But as I get into it and more, in, uh, more involved in it, I'll probably understand the mechanics as I get more powerful, get more health, because now I'm dying in three hits. But, you know, as you level up, you'll get uh, more experience, you'll get more health, you get more perks. You know, I'll be able to shoot, you know, throw, throw a knife to distract this guy while I kill that guy or, you know, be able to shoot a bow an arrow from far away. Now it just seems like every time I try to quietly assassinate somebody, there's always a guy looking in that direction. So you got to assassinate that guy, then you got to go run, find a hiding spot, go back. Right now, it's just annoying. But this is the way Assassin's Creed games are. They're very slow to get started. But once you get started, they become a lot well, of fun. You know, you could always go back to Brotherhood, where you could call a group of assassins to drop in and do your dirty work for you in, in public. And that was awesome. But I don't think it's been done since well, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Well, the problem is, is this is uh, this is going back to the early days of Assassins, where there wasn't, there wasn't a Brotherhood. It's just a bunch of ragtag people saying, hey, uh, maybe we should do something about these people that are over there doing evil. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if you think this was the right direction for the series. I know they're coming out with <coughs> multiple games, but I do want to get your opinion as you get further into the game, whether they should have kept going with the way they did or if, if Mirage is, is what they should have done and gone and scaled it back and gone back to, uh, I guess, more to the roots than what they had expanded to. I, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see it too, but what I'm more interested in is over, it's gotta be over a year ago, year and a half ago, they announced the, I forget what they officially called it, but the Assassin's Creed hub, where they essentially said every Assassin's Creed game is going to link into this hub. So they all have a connecting story and Harley's over there making a lot of noise. So I apologize. You just decided to wake up and chase your tail. Um... Yeah, I'm more interested to find out how this is going to work with the hub when they officially announced that because they did say Mirage was going to be the first game attached to the hub. So I'm interested to see how they're going to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm really having fun with Assassin's Creed, having a lot of fun with humanity, and having a lot of fun with the uh, Division right now. They uh, they announced that there's going to be more to it, so more coming down the road, so I'm excited about that. Uh Looks like we're finally going to get some uh, story answers in the division that we haven't had before. So, also, I found out I didn't know this. Assassin's uh, Division Two is apparently on PlayStation Plus, so you can play play for free if you guys want. Wait, what is? And, uh, division Two. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I thought you were saying Assassin's Creed. I'm like, yeah, most of the Assassin's Creed games are free on PlayStation Plus, but. Well, eventually they be. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can't you cannot Mirage. go play uh, Mirage now for free on PlayStation Plus. But like, you go back and look at all like the at the list of them. It's pretty incredible. Like three or I, Black Flag three. Like, there's a whole bunch on there. I I think, and I, I sorry, might have to correct me, but I think that if you have Ubisoft Plus, it is free. Did they announce day date with Ubisoft Plus? I don't remember. I haven't paid enough attention to Ubisoft Plus, but they do have Ubisoft Plus Classics on the PlayStation Plus, so. I, it, I, well, I never really paid much attention to it because it's only, uh, it's only uh, PC, so. And I, I'd rather play my games on the PlayStation. Uh, 
Okay, so Caleb is in the chat. He says, hi, homies. And he says, I just want another Watch Dogs. I don't think, Alex or Yield, I don't think you played Watch Dogs like the newer ones, right? Yield, I know you just got the Platinum in the first one, but you haven't played 2 or Legion yet, right? Uh, I have to. I haven't gotten to it yet, and I have, as of right now, no desire to play Legion. Really? Yeah. Legion, I thought, was the best one so far. They they, they uh, didn't do it for me with their trailers and... Yeah. Didn't sell me on it. Kayla, Kayla says you make him sad. Oh, sorry. I'm not saying I won't play it. I'm just saying they didn't sell me on it. Ro, did, uh, are you a Watch Dogs person? Uh, I... I am. I didn't finish one. Um, I just I found it to be really boring. Um, I didn't play two. I did pick up Legion because the announced piece for it and then some of the subsequent pieces that they came out with like made it look like it would be my type of game. I think I put less than 10 hours into Legion trying to fall in love with it, and I just couldn't. I just could not, and so I bounced out, so I never finished it. I actually took it off my console. Uh, yeah, you, that storage space is uh, is precious, so you have to do what you got to do. Well, I uh, have three terabytes on my main box, uh, but I was just disgusted with the game. I was like, out, 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 damn spot. Bo- uh, both Kalos and Dex says uh, Watch Dogs 2 was the best. So, I, I, I like Legions better than 2, but that's just me. Yeah. But I, I could see the argument for 2 being the best one. All right. So let's get into our topics. If I can find my agenda where I put it. There we did. Uh, Our first topic is PlayStation confirms there was a breach of over 7,000 employees, uh, employees, personal info. Uh, This is coming from VideoGamesChronicle.com and written by Chris Skulleton. S-C-U-L-I-T-I-O-N. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Matt this week, so we don't have Matt's abbreviated notes. So we get to go, we get to go back to uh, Alex and Neil's favorite activity, me reading articles. Or you could just read the articles ahead of time and just paraphrase. I could have, but, you know, I want to be like you and not read the agenda until showtime. That, that would be what a responsible host would do. <laughs> <coughs> As reported by Bleepin' Computer, the PlayStation maker has been contacted those affected and let them know what happened. According to Sony, the breach involved a MoveIt file transfer platform used by an SIE employee, which developed by third-party IT developer uh, Progress Software. Progress announced on May 31st that it discovered a vulnerability in their software, but three days before this, an unauthorized actor had already used the vulnerability to download SIE files, access, and personal information for 6,791 current and former employees based in the United States. Sony claims the incident was limited to this particular software platform and had no impact on its other systems. So uh, I'm going to stop reading there because the rest of it's just, you know, reiterating the same things. So initially, when this report came out, uh, uh, yield. Uh, I'm going to go to you first because me and you had the conversation that like we don't even know if this is real because Sony hasn't announced anything, and it was you know thought that this was affecting the uh, the gamers, but apparently it's only the employees that were affected. So uh, yield, I open the floor to you, sir, about this new hack. Well, I guess it's a good thing that we all jumped to the conclusion of change your passwords right away. 
Yeah. Uh, I really don't have anything. It's it's going to happen. You're a big corporation. You're pissing people off. They're going to come after you. And, and, and let's be honest. Like Every corporation in the world, every big corporation in the world, they're fighting off hacks and hackers all the time. You know, how, how many times have you gotten a letter in the mail saying, hey, our systems were breached. Uh, here's a free year of identity theft protection. And you didn't hear anything else besides that. So. I mean, it hasn't happened to me recently. It has happened in the past with other companies. I mean, it's good. I, it sucks for the employees and, and hopefully nobody's financial data is out there. But uh, it's still not a good look for Sony when you've been hacked twice, regardless of, of what they got. People still don't like to see that. Just a friendly reminder, make sure that uh, whatever sign-in you have for, like, PlayStation or Xbox or whatever is, like, make up a, a unique one and don't have it be the same thing as your bank data uh, or your bank. I, I'm sure I'm sure Sony has been hacked a lot more than twice. Well, <laughs> this is just the second time we've heard about it. Do you think Ro- yeah, it's it's not still got, no, got not good news? It still doesn't make Sony look good, but it seems like it's not it's not anything touching the consumers and we can all breathe, but... Yeah, just keep keep an eye. Uh, just you know, maybe change your password every once in a while, just to keep people on their toes. Ro, your thoughts on the hack? I mean, it's unfortunately right. Like for any business, it doesn't matter. Like when, and it doesn't matter whose data is taken. Like when you have insecurities that pop up, it's always going to create problems, right? And and nothing's foolproof because you have human error and all kinds of things, right? Like this came because somebody was using a third party app that they probably weren't supposed to install anyway, but there weren't any stop gaps from keeping them to do it. And that gave somebody an in, right? And anytime you give people an in, somebody's going to find a way to, to breach it, right? Like people love their five minutes of fame of being able to say like, I got in and I got all this data and now I'm going to ransom it off and all those kinds of things. Sometimes people suck. Um, and it's really unfortunate. I, I, you know, echo everything that's been said. I really hope that these employees information that was able to be grabbed isn't detrimental. I hope that, you know, all kinds of stop gaps are being put in place to protect those people's information. It's absolutely important to use unique passwords. I know I can't tell you how pissed off I get when I see, a, oh, you got to create a password and it's got to be 15 characters long and you need to use these special characters and you got to have a capital. But that stuff does matter and you definitely want to use unique things, right? Like I... I think there's maybe two accounts I have that have a similar password, but not the same. And I change my passwords every six months. It's a pain in the ass. I hate doing it. But I do need to keep myself safe because like in the cyber world, like it's way too easy to make something that looks like something else and to get into trouble. So I hope that with, you know, the ransomware attacks that we've seen, this now happening, that it's just flagging enough to Sony that, hey, we need to make sure that we are doing our due diligence to keep our information safe, both for our employers and our customers. Yeah, and uh, two-factor authentication is a good way to go as well. If, if you if they offer that, it's definitely the way to go because anytime somebody tries to log on to something, even if they have my password, they still can't get in because they don't have the code that got sent to my phone. So unless they got my password and cloned my phone somehow, they're not getting in, so... I, and I know some people uh, particularly don't like two-factor identification because it makes things harder. But to me, I'd rather have that and know, you know, if, I, if I'm 
like if I'm at work and somebody's trying to get into my Google account and all of a sudden it's like, oh, did you try to access this? I'm like, no. I, I can't immediately run to a computer to change the password. I, I know that they're stopped and I just got to remember later to go change the password. Um, JT's in the chat. He also subscribed, so thank you. JT, you've been a subscriber for 61 months. That's incredible. That's five years that you've been a subscriber. That's incredible. Uh, and he says you kind of should have it. I'm, I'm assuming he means the two factor, two, uh, yeah. two factor. Also, if you all, all didn't, right. if you missed last week's episode, JT was on the show last week, JT and Rick. So go back and listen if you did, if you missed it. Yes. Uh, the next article we have is coming from IGN written by Taylor Lyles. Tim Sweeney has admitted that Epic Games had financial problems 10 weeks prior to the studio layoffs. This was revealed at Unreal Fest earlier this week. In a post on the social media platform X spotted by Polygon, um, uh, user Immature Gamer X uploaded a video recorded during one of those sessions available on the first day of the annual conference focused on Unreal Engine. However, the session was not included in the live streams available to the public. Sweeney elaborated more on Epic's financial woes that led to the company taking laying off 830 employees late last month. Sweeney explained that the management became aware of how dire their financial difficulties were just 10 weeks before the announcement. Quote, this wasn't a right sizing. I think we're in the right size. I love our original plans. This was a survival move based on that was necessary. And what we did accomplished. One thing is we stabilized our finances so we won't run out of money as we build the metaverse. End quote. While Sweeney did not speak freely about the change in Epic's financial struggles, he admitted that the company heavily relied on Fortnite's revenue in recent years. It's not a complete surprise, as Fortnite has been one of Epic's most profitable properties. In 2021, it was reported that the popular free-to-play Battle Royale had made $9 billion in two years and had 400 million registered users at the time. All right, uh, Ro, I'm going to go to you first on this because I I know how Alex and Yield already feel about Fortnite, and we kind of touched on layoffs. I think we touched on the layoffs Oh, last week or the week before. So, row of the four is yours. So, layoffs aren't fun. They're never fun. Uh, it, both from the perspective of, of the person that could possibly be laid off or from an organizational standpoint, right? It, it's balancing of numbers on a sheet devoid of the personal emotion, and I hate it, and I hate being part of it, and I don't think that anybody enjoys it. I And it's really hard when you, you know, hear numbers like how profitable – Fortnite is to hear that there are economic woes, but there are, right? Because there are so many costs of being a studio, a publisher, maintaining code bases, maintain, especially when you have something that can be played in cloud, like the costs become astronomical to the point where like a billion doesn't go as far as like it used to. And it's crazy to say, cause it's hard to fathom that kind of money, but it's true. And so I, I feel bad for everybody that has been laid off. Like, it's a hard time in games right now. We've had a lot of games ship and come out. And then conversely, a couple of weeks later, hearing big numbers of layoffs or studios being closed. So it's a real scary, scary time right now. Um, I'm not a fan of Fortnite, but 
I am absolutely a fan of like what it's accomplished. You know, what it's done for the free to play space has been amazing. And, you know, I, I don't like restructures. I hope that it's true that what Sweeney is saying and that the changes that they've made now have put them in a place where they are going to be solvent and they are going to be secure for, you know, the future. But that's what everyone says after a layoff. So I always take that language as, ah, this is the comms and HR approved statement that you, senior, senior person, can say. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. Alex, the floor is yours. I mean, the only thing I really have to say is that, of course, you had financial problems, Tim Sweeney. I would assume so. Why did you lay off so many people otherwise? Like, it's kind of like, this makes sense. And, you know, it doesn't surprise, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm surprised that people are so open and candid. But at the same time, I'm not. Because otherwise, if you don't say this and just lay off a bunch of people, you look like a dick. So, in some ways, you got to be open about it. So, yeah, again, if you didn't have financial problems, why did you lay off a bunch of people? So it just makes sense. Kind of like, sure, whatever makes sense. Guild. Uh, I am in a minority, but I think some dark times are coming for video games. Do you want to elaborate on that, or? Uh, we went from. Uh, a buyer's war, so to speak, where everybody was selling themselves to stay afloat, and now everybody is laying everybody off. You've got stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about it later. Did you put it in the show? Yeah, you did. Jamie. Uh, it's it's not good for the industry, and. I just I got this feeling that I want to say it's going to crash. I think that might be a little dramatic, but I think I think warning signs are out there. All right, see, maybe I'm in the minority here, and obviously I'm not in the boardrooms, but. It, it sounds to me like if you're making $9 billion over the course of two years, you could have made changes to keep 830 employees and just suffered the, the, the losses for a while. And I know that's not business, good business sense and whatnot, but let's be real. Fortnite is basically printed money well, for that. Tricky, right I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's just from Fortnite, the $9 billion. You're not talking about the Unreal Engine or anything like that. You're just talking about one thing. So they didn't just make $9 billion over over two years. That's just for one. No, no, I'm, sa- no I'm, I'm saying if you're making $9 billion over two years just from Fortnite, and, and it sounds to me like you could have made changes that kept these employees. Now, if, if these employees were redundant in some fashion where they weren't really helping the productivity. I understand that. But you you come out and say we have financial woes, that we were basically running our business the wrong way, we were losing money. It sounds to me like they, you could have fixed the problems and kept the employees. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I know what I'm trying to say, but it's not coming out properly. It's like, I, I think they could have found a way to keep these employees and make changes at the same time. It's it sounds to me like they just said, you know what? We're we're not going to accept losses for a while, even though our game is highly popular and so it's the biggest battle royale in the world right now. 
um, this is this is crazy that you have to lay off. I I, I think it was eight hundred and forty employees. I said it was sixteen yes. percent of their workforce. Eight hundred and thirty employees. That's insane that you laid off that many people. Well, and that's not re- that's not you redundancies. Know. You wouldn't have that many redundancies. The only way that would happen is if you were merging two massive companies and you were looking to get and like you had like you know with the TKO merger with WWE and, and Endeavor. Like if you had a social media department or an HR department, you just wanted to mash everything into one. And, you know, you had two massive companies coming together. But yeah, eight hundred people like that kind of redundancies as far as like Epic goes. There's no way that happened. Well, I, I excuse my ignorance here, but besides Fortnite, what is Epic making right now? I would have to look that up because I am not entirely sure. I mean, obviously they have the Unreal Engine. I got that. Well, they run. They run a lot of money for that as well, which is one of the big PC platforms. Yeah, and they they're giving away two free games every week too. So are they free or are they? No, they're free. PlayStation. You don't are they have to free have it? Or are they PlayStation free? No, they're free. You don't have to have any kind of subscription to them. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, uh, like I'm not in their boardroom, obviously. Uh, well, they did buy Psionics, uh, so they own Rocket League technically, and they also own Harmonix as well. Um. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, I, I, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's just tough because, like, there's the stuff that we think about on the surface, right? And then there's all the other costs that, like, for the most part, like, as a consumer, you don't think about. But in running a store, there's a ridiculous amount of people, a ridiculous amount of legal. There's a ridiculous amount of support. Like, there are a lot of costs that are involved just in maintaining kind of things. And if you aren't paying attention, especially when you've acquired so many different things, and frankly, people are not necessarily being as forthcoming with how poorly their piece of the business may be doing until it's too late, it, it's hard to rectify when you're running, right? Like, if... If the store isn't doing very well because between licensing of what they're giving away in the hopes of having rebounding customers and they don't rebound, they don't come back, they don't increase their spend, then you're running at a loss leader. If you think that you can bring it back in six months, so it's like, hey, let's hold off on like pushing this until we see where we are in six months and now you're six months down the road and oh man, not only did it not get better, it's gotten worse. It's it's hard to correct quickly. Like... I, and this is not me defending at all because I personally, personally, not a fan of Disweeney. Um, <clears throat> but it's difficult when you're a monolith and you're so big to be nimble. And that's a problem with like, in general, across the board, in every industry, big companies, right? Like a smaller company, you can make a decision because it takes three people to be like, yep, let's do this and let's go. In a larger company, you now have hundreds of people that have to sign off on something and agree on the thing before you can move forward in it. Um, so, you know, I don't know where, like, the financial losses are coming from. Is it from, you know, hey, we plateau, right? Because so many companies in general, especially when they're doing anything that's subscription-based, We'll be like, ah, all we got to do is just get more users. As long as we get more users, then we'll make more money profits without going, you have a finite amount of people 
that you are going to move on to your subscription service. You have a finite amount of people that you are primarily going to sell your thing to in the first six months, in the first year of it existing, right? Like it is finite. So what's your plan beyond the finite that's sustainable? But people get so caught up in the immediate and the tangible that when they get to the sustain and they don't have a plan and they've plateaued, ah, we throw everything at everything, right? Like the biggest excuse that I've heard across every industry that's laying off is, oh man, yeah, we, we ballooned up too much during the pandemic, you know, because people were working from home and we got people cheaper and, you know, now that's not the case. And, oh man, like we got all these people on our books and, and we're not turning the profits that we used to. And so, oh, we've got to lay off. And I hate that that's a solution because it shouldn't be a solution. But it is the solution that lets you be nimble. And it sucks. I, and you brought up the pandemic and, you know, people working from home. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody who I'm not going to name because, uh, you know, I confide in them and they confide in me. And, you know, we don't, we don't talk about these things. But they said that one of the things when the pandemic started and everybody working from home he was worried he was going to be laid off or fired because essentially, you know, the game development studio had to pay for their building, their rent, their space, all that stuff, and it wasn't being used. And that was just a cost that they couldn't recoup because everybody was working from home. The the talking, you know, to to have a conversation and say, hey, I'm having problems on level three. You know, uh, grandma's boy reference there. Um you know, they couldn't just walk over to the next desk and say, hey, can you give me a hand with this? They had to send an email or get them on the phone and whatnot. And he says, and the game development, you know, not that it went to a crawl, but it slowed down because it wasn't as easy as just walking to the next desk and saying, hey, I'm having a problem with this or, hey, can you help me with this or whatever the case may be. So he was worried that because of the finances and everybody working from home, everybody was getting, still getting paid the same, obviously, because you know that was their salaries and their contracts. But production slowed down. So something that may have only taken, and I'm just throwing a number out here, six months to develop was now taking nine months to a year to develop. And that's six more months, three to six more months. They weren't making a profit on the game that they were working on before they could start working on the next game. So they were always talking about, you know, is this possibly, you know, we're going to lose our jobs because... Once we go back to the office, if they go back to the office, you know, what's it going to be like? Who's going to be there? And, yeah, they were hiring more people, like you said, Ro, because, well, you could work from home. You don't have to be here. So it was a lot easier to recruit people because they were saying, hey, everybody's got to move to uh, – San Francisco to develop on this game. No, stay in Minnesota and work on the game and just, you know, email us over or put it in the Dropbox or whatever the case may be. So that the pandemic, I think us coming out of the pandemic, we're going to hear more, a lot more stories about layoffs. I mean, even in this agenda, we got what, three or four topics talking about layoffs. Like I, I was putting this agenda together and I'm like, everything that we're talking about is layoffs. It was a struggle to find a, 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 something that didn't talk about some somber person losing their job. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's where we're at. I mean, just, right now, I think we're going to be here in Hill Layoffs for at least another month or two. And yeah, and it just it, it's it sucks, but you know, it's also the time when it happens, right? Because for many companies, you're coming up on their end of year, so it's when 
balancing of the books is the most important, right? And it sucks because you're going into holiday. So the worst time to get laid off in any industry is, you know, right before the holidays where it's time for giving gifts and all those kinds of things, at least in North America, right? So like it's it's really tough, but I think that you you hit the nail on the head, at least for me, like as I look at it, is there's just a lot of folks that are now coming out of the pandemic. I mean, the games that we've gotten this year all were, frankly, in my mind, like catch up of like people delivering stuff now that more folks were going back to the office. There are more ability for people to actually be Devin because like as much as you can make a pretty decent home office, you're not going to have like, unless you're very, very lucky in a very good metropolitan area, you're not going to have super high speed internet. And let's, you know, face it, like a lot of files that you're having to move around are hundreds and hundreds of gigs, right? So how much productivity do you lose? Because you're on a home high speed internet getting capped by Comcast, you assholes, right? Like all the time, it definitely slows down your production, right? To your to your point, like you can't just hop over and be like, oh man, like I'm having problems with this debugger. Like I, now I'm having to make a meeting. We're having to like get on the same schedules and then we're screen sharing and like it, there's so much complexity that's added to that. Now that we're coming back out of it and people are, you know, either hybrid or they're back in office, able to actually get back to the rhythms that they're used to. That's why I think you saw the slew of games that like, hit us in the last year, which have been, you know, fantastic to run through, right? But at the same time, now it's like, okay, well, now we got to pay the piper because what are our payrolls look like? For all those people, we have benefits, we have external costs, like everybody that built a home office, almost every company had to provide you some kind of money for that home office that they're not recouping. You talk about business, you know, building space, you absolutely can't recoup that. And because there aren't a lot of businesses popping up, it's not like you can repurpose that space to re-rent it out or sublet it out to make those dollars back, right? And so without getting into and knowing, like, again, where their, their deficiencies were being driven by, it's hard to say, okay, was there a way to solve this before having to cut 800 people I think that there was, I think, but there's some cut that was going to happen, whether it was 400 people or 800 people. And that's just at Epic, right? You look around the industry, so many different publishers, studios that are, and they don't want to say it, but they are, they're right-sizing themselves because <coughs> looking forward, if you don't have a game coming out right now, or you have a game coming out soon, once that thing goes out, do you need your headcount? Do you have projects lined up that require the headcount that you have, require the business space that you have, require the expenditures that you have? And if you don't, and you have a board that you have to answer to, you've got to come up with that answer. All right, let, let, not to cut you off, but let's go on to the next story, which is also about layoffs. This is coming from IGN, written by Rebecca Valentine. Telltale Games has allegedly laid off most of its workers. Uh, narrative, narrative adventure Telltale Games, the studio currently working on The Wolf Among Us 2, and, which just released the expanse of Telltale series, has undergone layoffs, which one former player says impacted, quote, most of, end quote, the studio. The news first circulated on a post on X, formerly Twitter. Are we calling it X or are we calling it Twitter? I call I don't it Twitter. Know I don't, I'm, not, I, Twitter. I, I'm not on there anymore, so it doesn't matter to me, but I just refer to it as Twitter because everyone knows it as Twitter. I, I'm just going to say Twitter from now on. Um, Ro, I know you said you were getting off 
X <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I refuse uh, to call it that. It's Twitter. Getting off of Twitter and not arguing with a bunch of random people is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. It is so feels so great to not be on Twitter. I love it. So if anyone if anyone's the, thinking the about thing it, I- just pull the trigger. <laughs> Unless there are some friends you talk to that you only have on that platform, I get it. But if you got multiple ways to talk to people, just get off of Twitter. It's a cesspool. All right. Uh, Post formerly on Twitter by former Telltale Cinematic artist Jonah Huang, which I probably just pronounced wrong. Uh, JT calls it the next porn site. Twitter. Next porn site. Because apparently they allow nudity on their site now. Uh, Said the latest took place in early September. His quote, uh, his tweet, quote, this is a sore subject, but I must feel I feel it necessary to add to the game and layoff news. Telltale laid off most of us early September. Status of the Wolf Among Us 2, I can't say because he's under an NDA. Now I focus on what matters to me, my own game, and the following words. Games industry, we must unionize. End quote. Telltale confirmed that it had undergone layoffs in a statement sent to IGN, but did not confirm the number or extent. Its statement reads as follows, quote, due to the current marketing conditions, we regrettably had to let some of our Telltale team go recently. We did not take this action lightly and our commitment to storytelling and finding new ways to do so remains the same. We are grateful to everyone for their dedication along the journey, and we are working to support everyone impacted. All projects currently in development are still in production, and we have no further updates at this time, end quote. Telltale, like... They've already shut down, reformed. The big problem, the big problem for Telltale is that most of their games rely on licensing, so you can definitely get yourself in trouble really quick, dig yourself in a hole when it comes to that, and if your, your game sales don't you know meet expectations. So, isn't isn't Telltale also making a Star Wars game, or am I it, did I just lump them in no, with no, the whole store all the Star Wars in. games? Okay, I want to say you're thinking of Eclipse, uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, well, no, I know of Eclipse, but I thought Telltale was making also a Star Wars game, but I could just... It, well, at, the t- at the time, we were constantly saying Star Wars by this person. Star Wars yeah, by because this Disney person. is, I could have just Disney is in. putting like, Star Wars here, there, and everywhere. It's like people make fun of Skyrim for yeah. being on everything, but my God, Disney could not be trying to take more advantage of Star Wars if they, they tried. Like it's, I'm sorry, I'm so sick of Star Wars. I'm, I just don't care anymore. Uh, Sabers entered the chat. He says that's Quantic Dream. Uh, yeah, I I know the Quantic Dream is making the game. I know that. I just I got confused. I thought Telltale was also making one. All right, let's get back to the point in hand. The Wolf Among Us two. Uh, it's, according to Telltale, all games are still in production, uh, but they have laid off people. Uh, we got one person saying that they laid off most of the staff. Uh, Telltale doesn't quote or won't comment on that. This sucks. I, I, I have mean, no reason to not believe that. Uh, developer, the the former team member who says they laid off most of us, like what reason they had to lie? I mean, if you're Telltale, you don't want to get out to how many people you laid off because you don't want to worry people at current projects you're working on. So they have every reason not to not to tell the truth, or at least not talk about it. But as far as like if you're on the team, and obviously this person, you know, they were talking about it. It's they said you know this happened early September. We're now talking about this you know early October. That's a month ago. So this person really was you know had an extra grind or anything, you figured this would have come out by now. Uh, one other thing, uh, apparently the CEO said that the reason the Wolf Among Us was delayed was because they were uh, struggling to port it from Unreal 4 to Unreal 5, and uh, they also had a desire to avoid crunch, um, and it does not have a 
new release why, date. Why not just keep it on Unreal 4? Why do Unreal 5? If you start on Unreal 4, just stay on Unreal 4. I don't know. Uh, comment from the chat. Dex says, might be a silly question, but are these layoffs part of people spending less due to inflation? He says he may, may, he may be way off the mark. I'm um, sure a little. But I don't think it would affect that. Would affect well, so again, soon. Again, Telltale already had to kind of shut down because of their strategy and they really haven't changed. They're still making the same style of games and still licensing games and The Wolf Among Us is, you know, a sequel. So, it seems like they've just been operating business as usual in the style of games they're making and, you know, that, that well, formula proved to, to be fair, before. Well, to be fair, Alex, it, it Telltale is under new management. It's different leaders at the top and it may be that some of the licensed products, pro- properties that they're doing now they were still under contract from from before, so they may need to get under from underneath those contracts before they can start doing unlicensed properties. I, I'm speculating. I have no proof of that. That's just my thought, initial thought. Row, obviously more layoffs. Uh, I don't know if you're a Telltale fan. I am. I love The Wolf Among Us, uh, and I was very, very excited for Wolf 2. Um, you know, this one definitely hurts, for sure. Um, Because it's a a lot of good people. I think where I have like so many flags and questions in my head are, you know, the fact that they're not being specific uh, from the telltale perspective of just how many people they laid off is a big flag because depending upon how much of your total workforce that you're laying off, you actually have to declare that. You have to, from from a government standpoint, have to <laughs> declare that and put that out. So if they're just skirting under that and not having to disclose the number, then I think I think that threshold is like if it's more than like five percent, you have to disclose it. So if if they're not restructuring, so not declaring bankruptcy and restructuring again, then the number of people that they're laying off, if they're not having to disclose it and put out all the press that everybody hates putting off, then it, it can't be a super high percentage of the business. But I don't know how many people are left at Telltale after the restructure, after all of these things. If I think about the projects that they have, you know, and as it's already been mentioned, so much of their stuff is licensing. Licensing sucks because regardless of how much you sell or how, you know, good a thing performs or not there is still a contractual writer that you have to turn dollars over for and sometimes there are even writers in those contracts that are like oh and by the way if you don't meet at least this in sales then we also get this because now it's damaged our brand to be associated with your lackluster sale thing right so we don't know like really what is going on at telltale but I don't know that they survive and what form they survive. Like if, if you're this quiet about a layoff at your company, if the only thing that you're saying is that our, our things that were in production are still in production and that's it, that's a big flag on the play for me. because And, it, and the only thing we know that's in production right now with them is the Wolf Among Us. Right. We don't know anything else they're making. And so you can't hang your hat on the wolf among us. 
Like, I love Wolf Among Us, but it was absolutely a niche game. Okay, it was not a blockbuster, like, raining money down on Telltale performer of a game. And so what else do you have in the hopper? And if those are things that are licensed, if you don't have the people on board to actually get them across the line, they're not coming across the line. So my concern, and I hope that it's not right, but my concern is that, like, yeah, everything is in production right now, but in a month from now, we're going to be hearing that they're not. All right. Uh, yield your uh, your thoughts, sir. I go back to what I said before. The, the warning signs are out there. All right. I, I'm seeing an article here, and I, I, I can update this probably next week, but apparently Telltale just bought um, a developer called Flavorworks, which made the game Erica, and they bought them, and then these layoffs happened shortly after. Um, I'll do some research on that. That was a great move. Um, but I'll, I'll do some research on that to find out. Because if they bought a studio and then laid off a bunch of people, that's kind of shady. All right. We got one more layoffs to talk about. Um, Naughty Dog is apparently laid off some people. This is coming from IGN, written by Wesley Yinpool. Uh, Naughty Dog has reportedly suffered a round of layoffs with the troubled Last of Us multiplayer spinoff said to be, quote, on ice. The Sony-owned studio, which is home to 400 staff... Stop clapping, yield. The Sony-owned studio, which is home to 400 staff, laid off at least 25 developers, Kotaku said. Most of the people affected were quality assurance contractors who were seeing their contracts cut short. According to Kotaku, the full-time staff are not affected. Naughty Dog will reportedly not offer severance, will not offer severance to laid-off staff, who Kotaku said are expected to work until the end of October. According to the site, Naughty Dog staff, quote, are being pressured to keep the news quiet, end quote. Uh, and Sony has reached out for comment, and they have got, uh, IG had reached out for comment from Sony, and they haven't gotten it. Uh, the Last of Us multiplayer spinoff is, according to Kotaku, is basically on ice, although it's not completely canceled. This tallies with the May report from Bloomberg, which said the quality and long-term viability of the must-anticipated Last of Us multiplayer game has come into question as a result of a small group remains on the project while the company reevaluates the direction. We know many of you have been looking forward to hearing more about our Last of Us multiplayer game. We're incredibly proud of the job our studio has done thus far, and the development has continued. We've realized what is best for the game is to give it more time. Uh, this is all a quote from uh, back in uh, a couple months ago. Uh, our team will continue to work on the project as well as other games and development, including a brand new single-player experience. We look forward to sharing more soon. And they just thank us for our support. Yield, I, I jokingly said stop clapping, but are you really happy that this multiplayer is going yes. away? Yes. Or possibly going away? Yes. I thought it was an absolutely waste of Naughty Dog's time and talent. Yeah, but Yield, I'm going to call you out here. Um, that, that, that's fine. I'm not big on the multiplayer, and I wasn't going to play this much like you, but this is likely led to layoffs, and all they got to do is get the game out. You don't have to play it, and people can still keep their jobs. So I think you're looking at it from the wrong angle. Well, I'm not happy that they lost their jobs. Absolutely not, but... And, and in I the guess. end, if Sony makes more money on this multiplayer and can put it back into 
making PlayStation games. Now maybe they just put it back into another multiplayer game, but you don't play it. That's one thing. But I think that the the success of this game is directly laid uh, tied to these layoffs. All right, Ro, I want to ask you a question, and you may or may not be able to answer this. I so will please tell just you t- if I can or I can't. <laughs> um, a QA contractor, mm-hmm. they are basically the people that play the game and report back to the developers about bugs and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so that, that's what QA is, quality assurance, right? So they're playing builds regularly to see if they're bugs, if they're able to you know, repeat or not, and and lighting those up. The, the key thing here is like contract versus FTE, right? Because contract work, depending upon in the gaming industry, like who you work on, contracts are very different. Because most of those positions, right, you're going through an agency and it's very clear, like, how long you're contracted for, that at any time your contract, you know, for any reason can end. There's not a lot of certainty there. Contract work is just hard, especially in the video game industry, but in the tech industry in general, right? Because you can have funding today and you can have a job today. And then tomorrow, guess what? We're putting our focus otherwhere. And so your contract is now ended as of today. Take your stuff and go. It super sucks. Um, and, uh, it is not an easy life to live as a contractor in tech spaces and game spaces or in industry. Um, but QA is one of those places where just across the board tech and games where those are not long-term contracts. Um, and very often they're not renewed. Um, more times than not, you will bring in different folks. There are maybe, I think across the game industry, there's like 30 QA folks that are like known to be great. And those people consistently get contracts around, but not with the same company or in the same space. So like contract layoffs versus full-time employee layoffs, those are different, right? Like very few contracting companies have severance built in, like contract ends, contract ends. Um, And again, I don't like it because it is basically disposable workforce wherever you are. Tech industry, entertainment industry, which, you know, games is a part of. Um, and those are folks no. that, like, you're not having to cover benefits for. You're not having to cover, you know, health insurance. More times than not, you're not having to cover, like, travel and things like that for contractors. So they are a much more affordable workforce and they are disposable. And it sucks. And way too much of the tech industry and the entertainment industry rely much too heavily on contract work versus full-time hire just because they're on the books. I I don't think it's wrong to say, but basic QA guys, they're basically independent contractors that don't have any loyalty to a certain studio. They can jump from studio to studio as needed. Well, it depends, right? Because there are some companies that you absolutely do have in-house full-time QA and then you have your external guys right so like you know depending upon how big your game is if it's multi-platform and things like that you may have your in-house that knows one platform and then you contract out QA folks to other ones and it's not about necessarily QA folks wanting to have loyalty or not it's that the industry is really built in a way that doesn't allow that to happen right like some companies you can contract for and you can only contract to them for like 12 months so one year and then you have to be off their books entirely for like six months and then you can come back like when i contracted to the government 
I could only be contracted to the DOT under the agency I was working for for 12 months. And then I had to be off that agency's books for 12 months. So my project was 12 months. If it needed to be extended, I had to actually leave the agency I was at, not work for 30 days, and then come back and reapply for the job and hopefully get rehired coming from a different agency. And so it's things like that that are built in that make it difficult to build in loyalty. Because if I take a contract and I know I'm only on for 12 months, I know it takes me two to three months to get a job. My first three months in, after I'm like learning all the systems and stuff like that, I'm already dusting off the resume to start looking for the next gig. So it's the way that it is already architected and set up that is built to be counter to that. Like unless you build in, which means you have to pay for the headcount, in-house QA, you're constantly circulating QA folks because you're contracting them. And depending right. upon how your org is set up to allow contracts, if you can't renew somebody multiple times over and over and over and over again, you got a problem. And oh, by the way, all that knowledge and all that training and all that time that you put into that person to learn your systems, to learn how to report, to all, they take that with them when they walk out the door and then hey, go someplace else. Yeah, it's now gone. Mm -hmm. So, and you got to start over from scratch again. All right, uh, let's get off the well, sand. I do want to say on. something. Oh, sorry about this whole naughty dog mess. I find it real odd that we get a whole lot of negative news coming out of Sony right after Jim Ryan's announced retirement. Like, I was gonna say something. I was gonna say something about that too. Have you not? Has anybody not put two and two together yet? Like Eurogame. I, I don't think. I don't. Th I, I think it was a forced retirement. Personally, yeah. Well, that's we're on the that's same page me. then because Eurogamer, you know, Sony's life service pivot may not pay off the way Jim Ryan had hoped. That's one of their articles. Uh, PlayStation Lifestyle. PlayStation Studios reportedly struggling with live services. Like Tricky said, I put it out there on the Trophy Wars thing. I think they told him he had to, and they're giving they're showing him respect by letting him do it. You know, and giving him over the holidays. But I think that, you know, especially with layoffs at Naughty Dog, when the last time that happened, and this Naughty Dog project, which they probably poured millions and millions of dollars to, now we don't know if it's going to come out. It's, it's on ice, which I assume is just mean it's it's currently on hold while they have a few people working on it. Um, I, I heard some speculation. It's not to cut you off there, but I heard some speculation because they apparently there's a rumor that they're making a Last of Us 2 PlayStation yeah, 5 edition. I saw that too. Yeah, and I saw that. I rolled my the, eyes. The, the rumor is I'm hearing is that when they launch that, the multiplayer is going to be attached to it. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. I, I What I had heard, seen is they want to keep the Naughty Dog layoffs hush-hush. Well, too late for that. Um, but yeah, I uh, I definitely don't think Jim Ryan, you know, I think, his, I think it's plausible that he doesn't want to travel as much, but I also think it's a convenient excuse. I think they told him he had to, he oh. had to step down or retire. That's my opinion, and it seems like Tricky and I are in the same. I, I don't. Oh no, I don't. Well, me, I don't me disagree. Yield and, I, I don't disagree. Me, me and Yield had this conversation as well. We like, we, I, I think it was like before we recorded our Patreon episode on the Mandalorian. By the way, go to patreon.com backslash Proven Gamer um, to check out all the content we do there. Uh, but me and Yield had a conversation where like this kind of feels like he was forced to get out. Like they they were just tired of the bullshit. It's like, listen, you got to go. Yeah, they they dumped all their money into this multiplayer thing and it's now coming to light after his retirement that 
it doesn't seem to be panning out. Everybody's laying off. Naughty Dogs is supposedly on hold, and that was the big one they've been pimping out. Well, and that's, let's not you know, forget that they, they completely they, they, closed Pip, Pixel Opus earlier this year, which I don't know how you don't have anything to do for an entire studio, especially one as talented as Pixel Opus. But they, they not only are there Naughty Dog layoffs in Naughty Dog, but they closed Pixel Opus. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, price hike not to PSN. To... I, 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 yeah, all signs point to a forced retirement or a forced outage, and it, it's almost. Kind of feels damage control time. <sighs> Kano's in the chat. I don't know where he's coming from with this, but he says Nintendo will buy Microsoft. Laughing his ass off. Uh, that would be funny. I bet Ro would that like happened, to work for Nintendo. That would be funny. I, I just find it funny because we just had to reach the story that Microsoft tried to buy Nintendo or Phil Spencer wanted I'm to buy sure Nintendo. That's what Kano's is referring to in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, Ro, you got a good kick out of that. <laughs> I enjoy a good laugh. Uh, all right, so let's go from the bad news and potentially uh, happy news for Alex. Uh, this is coming from IGN, written by Ryan Dinsdale. CD Project Red CEO Adam Kenichi is entering a supervisory position in 2025. Uh, How does this... The CEO is... Hold on, let me finish. I never played no CD Project Red game. Let me get... Listen to... Let me get... This is why you need to read the agenda beforehand, because you'll see where I'm no, going like with most this. Most of the internet, I prefer to react very quickly. Yeah. CEO, the CEO has announced that he will be moving to a supervisory position at the company in 2025, and therefore be stepping down as CEO as part of a larger management shakeup. Here's your keyword, oh, okay. Alex. So management you know, shakeup. what happened with uh, the disastrous launch <laughs> of Cyberpunk. Uh, Kenichi, who has been at CG Project Red for 30 years. Finally, as like a couple years later, we're doing the managerial shakeup that we should have done right after. Uh, he's been at 30 years as of 2024. will resign as a member of the management board at the end of the year. Before he does so, he will transition to his current role as CEO to the role of Chief Strategy Officer as of January 1st, 2024. Current Chief Creative Officer Adam Bad- Badowitzki and current Chief Commercial officer Michael Naoliski, I, I, I hate names that I can't pronounce, will take over as joint CEOs of CG Project Red as of January 1st, 2024. The supervisory board, Kenichi, is, is joining overse- overseas the activities of CG Project Red and performs its duties by issuing recommendations and adapting resolutions. CG Project co founder and former joint CEO Marcin. I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name. Made the same move in October 2022, joining the supervisory board and therefore leaving behind his management board duties. So, Alex, now that you heard this, this is just the management shakeup that you said should have been done a long time ago, as you'll yeah, also Yeah, we also don't out. know if this was because of Cyberpunk. I mean, in the end, Cyberpunk was very successful. So, but we don't know if it's in regards to that specifically, if it's just kind of like a, hey, you fucked up, you know, see, see, uh, on the other side, or if it's, you know, just like a, this person's opting to take this role. I, I don't know. I think that there's no way of actually knowing if this was a, in any way tied to that. I, it's gotta be linked, right? You gotta, you gotta imagine like, the, the, the heads had to rolled after Cyberpunk's launch. Again, Cyberpunk in the end was very successful for them, regardless of that snafu with the, uh, their, 
release of the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions of the game. I mean, in the end, this game has still made them a lot of money, so... I, I think I saw an article where it says it's uh, officially outsold The Witcher 3. And the DLC's gotten very good review scores, so... I don't know. I mean, people may yeah. not forget it, but I think they will certainly forgive it, and... Yeah, I mean, look, new management, like, let's see what this new management team can do. Let's hope that they learn their lessons from Cyberpunk and can move forward and not pull anything like that again. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if you were hoping for any kind of, like, for the company to be kind of be punished for what happened, it certainly wasn't that. That never happened. So, but, like I said, move forward, take the lesson you learned. And don't pull that shit again. That's all you, you can hope. All right. Yield? What? I said what I wanted. Your to thoughts? Know. I said what I wanted. Okay. To uh, all right. Well, I'm sending you a message in Skype right now. Okay. Uh, let me see. Hold on. I, I, have, I haven't finished Skype yet. Okay. Just give me a simple yes or no, and then if you say no, then I'll move on. If you say yes, then I'll ask you the question. Okay, so here, here's what I... Uh, yeah, I can, to a degree. Okay, so, Ro, we, we were... Okay, just uh, disclaimer here. Ro does work for Microsoft, and... I work uh, in marketing, not in development. Marketing. Yes, so... Um, she's going to be very careful as she always is yes. in what she says, but Ro, Opinions we were talking, <laughs> yes, we were talking prior to the show about, uh, well, cyberpunk came up, but developing for different consoles mm -hmm. and Platforms, how, period. yeah. And how troubling that could be. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking you to speak to what you can, Yep. obviously. And then, uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're a consumer, multi-platform seems to make the most sense, right? Because, hey, if I put this out where everybody can access this and play the way that they want to, I'm more likely to get more people to play my thing, to buy my thing. And if I have DLC involved with it or those kinds of things, I have more opportunities to make money. The problem is, is that code bases across all of these platforms are very, very different. And to put on a single team that is developing and building these games, the need to deliver quality and parity across all of the places where people could game is very difficult. And I would argue damn near impossible to pull off, right? Because like, think of all the places where you can play games. I can play games on all of my iOS devices. I can play games on my Android devices. I can play games on, let's say, uh, which is killer. You still have them, they still work. I can play games on a PS3, on a PS4, on a PS4 Pro, on a PS5. I can play games on an Xbox 360 still. I can play games on an Xbox One, an Xbox One S and X. I can play them on series, right? Like. Right there, just in the names that I've put down, there's at least 12 different boxes that are there. Then you could throw in Mac OS. You could throw in PC. And oh, man, I've now got to make a game that can run on PC. But I don't know what graphics card you have. So I've got to try to make parity between all of these graphics cards that are out there. It is 
insanity, debugging that, doing customer service for that, managing that, the monster that that becomes is very, very difficult. And that's a lot to put on a dev team, period, end. And so, you know, to expect something to come out multi-platform and be a great experience across all those different code bases. And that doesn't even throw in a, oh, well, this one I got to do in Unreal 4, but this one I got to do in Unreal 5. And guess what? There's no parity between the two of them. You would think it was just like old engine with new stuff. No, completely different engine, completely different tools, completely different dev cycles and how things react. So everything you've built before, the library that you have before isn't transferable. It's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And so, you know, I, I always feel for a dev house. I did before I worked in gaming because I love gaming. And I had a lot of friends that were in dev, you know, that were doing small games and things like that. And to hear some of the stories that they would share of just how difficult it was of trying to get their games to be out on multiple platforms and be as good as each other, right? Because that's their goal, is to make sure that wherever you play the game, that you have a great experience. Delivering that is very difficult. So, you know, I love Cyberpunk 27.7 when it came out. I played it all the way, almost to the end, and then I stopped because I wanted to wait for their first major patch to come out before I ran Endgame. Um, and I did play it on, oh, so sorry, guys. I played it on my Xbox Series S. I never had any game-breaking bugs. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of weird things that pop up that I was like, oh, yeah, anytime I take a car out into the desert over 55 miles an hour, my character's going to T-pose on the top of it. And that stuff was fun. I have a lot of photos <laughs> that I took in-game of me just T-posing, driving out in the desert. That was funny to me, right? Um, but I didn't play it on a lower system because I knew that the devs that were working on it, their vision was always <laughs> for it to be at the time, next-gen system ready. And then trying to dumb that back for previous systems that don't have as strong uh, architecture, I knew it wasn't going to be a great experience. And I think that that's sometimes like the filter as a consumer that I forget to put on is like, you can't be great everywhere. You just can't. Everything's too different. People do proprietary things. Like, you can't. But can you focus on making a great experience where you want it to be and then build off it? You know, the beautiful place that we're in right now is that you can patch it. Cyberpunk 2077, multi-platform, had a really rough start. But it's a really good game now. Like, I haven't started the new stuff, but I'm looking forward to it because Ildris Elba makes everything better. Um, That's why the original Pacific he, Rim was he is in the a, second one. Well, one of the many reasons. He, he, <laughs> He, you know what he I mean? is a sexy. He is a sexy man. I'm not afraid okay. to say that. All right, like <laughs> just talk in my ear and let me run a mission, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, not only is he good looking, but that voice. <laughs> just, right. Um, but also, like, I know the quality of acting that he delivers and how much he respects video games. So I know that his performance is going to be good, and I'm going to enjoy it. I enjoy the story of Cyberpunk. I thought it had a great story. Yeah, it had some functional stuff that. Kind of sucked. Did it break the game in its entirely? No, but it definitely did break it in some places. But here we are now at a place where it is not just playable. It's really good. Same thing happened with No Man's Sky, right? Overpromise, underdeliver. But now it's in a great place and it is an absolutely fun game to play. And I think that's one of the things that I, I try to remember as I look at the industry right now. Because we have the ability to patch the game can continue to be dev on. It can be continued to be evolved. 
because we have digital delivery now. You know, it's not like, hey, what's on the cartridge or what's on the disc? Like, that's it. And if you didn't like it, well, it sucks to be you. We already got your money, right? Like, that's not the world that we live in today. But Wait, I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but shouldn't we as gamers have the expectation that when a game is launched, it is not broken? I mean, are, are we just... I think just- there's the difference between, Tricky, to be honest, I think there's a difference between broken and needs improvement. I think that it's absolutely the consumer's right to expect quality, right? I'm putting down money any way you slice it, whether I'm getting the game through a subscription service, I'm paying for the game completely outright, I get it as a bonus for another service I have, there's a certain level of quality that I should expect. But I do think that it is unfair if I'm thinking of a game that is multi-platform, that is <laughs> today, right, supporting, like we all see the end cards, right, on games where like you see all the logos for all the places you can play a game, right? To right. expect that something is going to be 100% perfect on every single one of those logos at launch, I think is unrealistic. Just because of the expectations we're now putting on games, right? Like, a good game to me, not, imperfect is not broken to me, per, personally, right? Broken is... I go to start it up and the damn thing quits. I can't play it. I can't run a mission. Like a character doesn't move where they're supposed to. That's broken. Okay. Something being slow, something being laggy, something not having a, a, a texture generating here or there where it's supposed to. That's imperfect, not broken. And I think we have to be real, real prescriptive with the language that we use. Personally. I, 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 I get what you're saying. And I, I can, I'm grabbing what you're putting down, but. I just think there's, we should have some sort of baseline to say, okay, listen, because I, I, people will say, okay, I'm being told to shush by uh, V in the chat. Um, and then I, after I say what I'm going to say, I'm going to go to a really good question by Caneless in the, in the chat. Um, I think we're not wrong for having an expectation that, a game should be working when it comes out. I mean, you brought up Cyberpunk. You brought up No Man's Sky. Both of those can be argued to say they should have been delayed at release and not put out the way they were. I can see arguments going both ways. But as I talked about earlier, one of the things I'm doing in the division right now is running the incursion. And the first couple times I ran the incursion... I was dealing with stuttering issues. Like you can go back. I, I was streaming it on Twitch. You can go back and watch the video where I was running. The game was running smooth, but the 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 picture on my screen kept freezing up. Everybody else that I was running with didn't see me staggering. That was only on my end. And again, you could argue and say, okay, well, that was because everybody and their mothers was trying to run that mission and the servers were probably bogging down. Is that a real problem with the game or is that just, you know, because there's, you know, I don't know, let's say 2 million people trying to run it where if I wait until tomorrow, only a million people are going to be trying to run it. So I'm not going to have these issues. But I, I think there's a realistic expectation that when a game launches, it should work. Textures, pic- pixels drop, and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's what you know, most people harangue right. games that and are I, broken come out. And that's why I say, like, we, we have to be prescriptive, right? Because quality to you and quality to me are two different things. So where do you draw the line? Because when you talk about moving a launch date for a game, 
right? So let's just say like in general, not talking from any experience specifically that I have. But let's say mm-hmm. that you've called a launch date for a game, right? When you call a launch date for a game, there's a whole mechanism that goes into place of people doing work to determine what sales are going to look like. They're going to start working up like how many people will play the game, how many units they're going to ship. At this point, they're now starting to plan, okay, what does marketing look like? What does post-launch marketing look like? And then what's the plan for after launch how we're going to move this game. And then we have to move on to like the next things, right? That whole thing spins up. Folks that are devving the game. So that's everybody from programmers, engineers, designer, everybody now have this window that they're launching at. At the same time, you also have a business mechanism that goes, okay, great. Once we get to launch, there's a certain amount of business and there's, I hate the math. I hate it. But there's a certain amount of math that says, hey, this is the window where we can look at like where we're going to have the biggest impact for actually driving revenue of this game. And then depending upon whether it has DLC, in-game purchase, all those kinds of things, like what monetization looks like, which means at this point, resources that we have here, we're going to shift to other places. That's how the plan goes. So you can't just shift the launch date like, oh, hey, this needs more time. So we got to give it like three more months or six more months because the impact that that has business-wise you may not be able to support. So sometimes it's decided, are we at quality enough to hit the launch date and then know and already be working on day one patches? I mean, is there anyone who is not used to a day one patch or expects a day one patch? I I think every game under the sun has a day one patch nowadays. So, So I think as consumers... There absolutely needs to be a, hey, there's a specific quality that I expect, like a baseline, a quality that I expect for a game when it actually is launching to come out with. But what the criteria is for what that quality is, I think it's going to be really hard to nail down because, again, people have opinions and we all as consumers can't agree what that quality is at launch. We, we can't. Because I look, not at Twitter, but like I look at Metacritic, I look at all of the game pubs, and there's no two reviewers, editors, Metacritic scores that rate quality the same way. So it's a moving target that no developer is ever going to be able to hit. Quality for me is not frame rate. I don't give two flippin' dippity-doos about frame rate. What I care about, what's quality for me in a game is, is the gameplay for me enjoyable? Are the characters in this game relatable? Do I give a damn about them? Is the story good enough to make me want to drop time in this game, to make me want to buy more content if they have it available, if they have you know, the ability to have skins and whatnot? Is there a community robust around it that is like driving like great things happening there? That's... For me, my baseline of quality. Do I enjoy playing the damn game? I don't care about frame rate. I don't care about textures. I honestly like don't really care about the look of a game. Like, I have a really nice TV. It has a game mode on it. I don't know what the sh- that does. I don't know how that looks different <laughs> than the monitor that is in front of me right now that is like a third of the size. Those are not the things that I set quality on. But if I go to Metacritic or I go to Kotaku or Polygon, like games get ripped apart for being broken because 
textures don't load, a character clips through a wall. Like, and, and to me, that's not a broken game. A broken game is I can't play your game. So I think we have to, and we should, and I don't know who drives it, but I do think that there needs to be a baseline of like, this is what quality is. Because we know day one patch is going to come. Those things are being worked on months before a game comes out so that you can have it ready to go and through certification and out the door on day one. And there's already a, pa- a plan ready for like the next two or three patches based off of how people receive it. So I think that we as consumers, and I don't know if it's just because I have a soft spot for devs, because I do. But I think we as consumers need to do a little bit of growing up and understanding that there's a shit ton of people working really, really hard to get a game over its launch day and out the door. And they're working even harder to increase the quality of that game and make it more over time. And I think that we just have to grow with that because the tech stack is just too ridiculous now to get it right, right uh, right out the door. All right. So I I wanted to throw it to to Alex and Yield here because we've been talking, me and you've been talking for a while now, but there's a question in the chat that I wanted to uh, ask you before uh, we move on to Alex and Yield and their opinions. Uh, Matt, who was a host of the show, uh, unfortunately could not make the show this today. He says, but doesn't a minimum frame rate have a quality basis? Certainly playing a game sub 20 frames per second is extremely difficult compared to one that's consistently above 50. Depends on the game, right? Like if I'm playing a game that is, you know, a pixel based game that, you know, is trying to be retro, sub 30 frames shouldn't affect that in the least little bit. Again, the scale becomes <laughs> respectfully quality, qualitative, right? Like, I don't care. I really don't care about a game being 30 frame a second or 60 frame a second. Because for me, it doesn't impact the game. For me. So that's right. not on my quality bar. Okay, I have played plenty of shooters that are thirty frame at 30 frame a second on my PC, on older consoles, and I didn't feel it. I didn't give a a about it. It didn't impact the game for me. So this wasn't quality for me. I think for some people it absolutely is, and I'm not taking that away from any of them, okay? I have seen a whole lot of people say, hey, an FPS is ass if it's not running at 60 frames a second. Growing up, the first person shooters that I played never ran at that. So my bar for quality is different. If you're only playing on newer consoles or, frankly, where I feel like you kind of should be playing FPSs, which is on a dope PC, you have the ability to run it at stupid frame rates that do impact quality for you. Great. But I don't think that should be a beholden like we go out to every day and go, every dev and go, hey, if you can't get your game to 60 frames a second on every platform that you plan to release the game, then it's not at quality and don't come out until you can. That's a really, really, really bad precedent to put out there because you're going to curb a lot of creativity. All right. uh, My opinion. V in the chat says PC master race. (laughs) So uh, Alex and Yield, uh, obviously me and Ro have been talking for a while. Sorry. Uh, I'm passionate about this one. (laughs) I, I want to give you guys a chance to respond to anything or say anything you want to say. Yield, we'll start with you, sir. I got nothing. <laughs> okay. Alex? Uh, I think realistically, the it's up to the – people need to manage their expectations, but also game companies need to make sure that they're putting their developers and their games in the best possible spot. Like, 
you know, everyone's been talking about how Mortal Kombat looks on the Switch. And you always have to ask yourself, look, can we put this out on this console? Maybe, but should we? Um, and, you know, giving people more opportunities to play a game. I understand that mentality. But sometimes games just shouldn't be put out, you know, technology-wise on certain, you know, platforms. And I think that's up to the people making the game to make that call. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people everywhere need to manage their expectations, but also we need to make sure that the games aren't being put onto systems where they're going to be a sloppy technical mess. All right. And going back to Kainless's question real quick before we move on to our next topic. Uh, he goes, should we be allowed to review a game at all now that we can change it for the change for the better? I think what his question is, should we be reviewing games at launch or should we be reviewing the games after a, a month or two after patches and everything has come out? Should we re- be reviewing them then? Uh, Kainless, if I'm asking your question wrong, please correct me in the chat, but I think that's basically what you were going for. Uh, Yield, I'll go with you first. Should we, re- should we re- be reviewing games at launch or should we wait a month or two until patches come out? And fix all the uh, day one problems. I should probably do both. I mean, you should have a, you, you should have a review at launch, but then so, but, but then if you know, let's say like with CG, like let's say with Cyberpunk, or you know, even No Man's Sky, and it stumbles out the gate, but there are multiple patches to it then there is no harm in going back and, and, you know, updating it or doing it again. But but that's not going to happen, but that's just my opinion. Alex? You got to review when they come out. Um, Yes, make it available, make it known that, hey, you know, whenever there's any kind of patches or anything like that, if you're like a big... A, you know, a big purveyor of news like yeah talk about that um to help disseminate that news but you can't just wait months and months and months until you know maybe the game is more playable like should they review no man's sky three four years later no you gotta review when it comes out all right and Ro, i'm gonna ask you the same question but i'm gonna add a a, a qualifier onto it uh being that you work on you know the gaming industry side when a review does come out um, and say, let's just hypothetically say your game doesn't review very well, do you take that personally or do you understand that, you know, this is somebody's own unique view and that's what it is? So I'm going to answer this question completely from my own personal opinion and experience. I'm a human being. There's absolutely no way that you don't take it personally. You just don't. There's, there's just no way. Like, because you know all the work that's gone into delivering the game, right? And you know how hard and how much time dev team has put in, QA team has put in, release team has put in, marketing has put in, sales has put in, partnerships has put in. Like, to build a marketing campaign for a game is, uh, um, And then I'm only responsible, like, in my role for marketing in the game. More times than not, I don't get to play the games that I'm marketing before they come out. And so when a game doesn't land, it hurts. It hurts the devs more than anything else, especially when you see the reviews come in. 
the difficulty for me and where like I absolutely take it personal is when a game is really good and this is before I even worked at Microsoft but when a game is really good you'll see like initially first couple of weeks the whole breadth of like games media talk about it and talk about the good things that they like about it and then they never talk about it again unless it's like up on a sale and they're doing their holiday sale pieces or whatever when a game doesn't land the to me the worst side of like humanity comes out because it's so much more volume of kicking something that isn't successful than celebrating something that is and so it's really hard to not take that personally, right? Like, uh, I'm not going to name the game, but I worked on a game. It didn't do really well. Like, it, is, is, it didn't do really well. And I w- was depressed for almost a month because I saw every game review. I saw every YouTube video that came out. And it was really hard. It was really, really hard. It was sad. It hurt. I was in a dark, bad place for a very, very, very long time. Um, And I, in my work, had never been so deflated. And I didn't program the game. I wasn't a dev. So, like, imagine what the dev house was going through was painful. And so, for me, like, I look at this industry, and I even think of when we were reviewing games and things like that. We were atrocious at, okay, Here's my lineup. This game's coming out, so I got to get this review out. So this review goes out the door. Okay, great. And then there's this one. It's just patch notes. So literally, it's a copy paste. Be like, oh, it's patch notes. Look, they did it. They did an update. You should check it out. Here's everything that's in the update. Okay, great. And not really paying attention to any of those things. I think because we are in a place now with games that whether it's a live service game or not, games are a service, <coughs> right? There's constant DLC planned for most games, expansions planned for most games, in-game purchases planned for most games. The game doesn't stop at launch. And I think that it's not smart as an industry for us when we're reviewing the games and thinking about it to stop at launch. I think you absolutely need to review a game at launch because I need to know generally what am I getting into as far as today. The difficulty comes in with that is more times than not, like, and you guys know this because you get review codes, right? You get to review a game sometimes a couple of days before it hits launch, sometimes a week before it hits launch. And the game build that you're playing in that review period may not necessarily be the review, the game build that comes out with the day one patch because you might not be playing the version that has the day one patch. There may be a day 15 patch. There may be a day 30 patch, right? There may be a seven month down the road patch, right? To expect reviewers to wait for every single patch and to replay the game and re-review it, I think doesn't make sense. But I do think from a point of, if you're playing and reviewing a game and your review that you know today is going to drop and that thing is not great, I do think that there should be, and this is on the reviewer, the onus is on them, which is why we don't see it, That if you slam the shit out of a game because it is not perfect when it comes out the gate and it is bad. It is not a great user experience. If there is a major patch that comes out or update that comes out that supposedly says that it's addressing those things, 
I do think that warrants a replay. So that the people six months from now who may be just getting that new console or that new PC that can play that game, that they have a full view of what they're picking up that day, right? Like if I think about the coverage that we've seen of the new cyberpunk stuff, I've seen probably four or five articles that were like, you know what? This new content is so good. It actually makes it a deservable thing that you should replay this game from beginning to end to go all the way through it. Because that's how much of a market improvement to the game, gameplay, and the story this new content makes. That warmed my heart to see. Because that doesn't take it really happen. Usually the headline is, oh, this game that was ass before, it's a little less ass now. And that's just not I, fair. I, I saw a headline that says Cyberpunk is worth playing now. <laughs> uh, Matt in the chat says, and I, I'm going to be very blunt. I don't know the difference between these two, but he says qualitative reviews prior and at launch and quantitative should come after. I don't disagree. So like one is like the soft stuff, right? So that's your qualitative because it's quality based, right? And then your quantitative okay. is your numbers based stuff, right? So your stuff that you can have absolute hard data on. That's what you do after. And I, I don't disagree, right? Because we're all in our fields when we start something new because we're experiencing it new for the first time. I know I'm running my mouth a lot, but I have a lot of feelings <laughs> on these two topics. Um, okay. But like... I, I, I love you, Ro, but we got to move on. Okay. <laughs> I literally just noticed, like, it's been such a good show. I didn't realize we were approaching two hours oh, right now. Okie dokie. And, I'll and we still got... We still got we still got a couple topics to talk about. No, all right, say what you want. I'm just nope. That's trying it. to move on. We, we also have to remember that sometimes uh, bonuses for game development studios, all based on how well a game does score wise, do are well, they get bonuses based on how good the reviews are. So if the reviews aren't done till later down the road, you're making people wait for those bonuses potentially. So yeah, and, and people also get promotions off of game watches sometimes. <laughs> All right, uh, next article coming from Game Rant, uh, written by, I'm not even trying to pronounce your name, Dominic Washingjack. Uh, this is going to be quick. I'm going to try to make this quick. PlayStation Portal, uh, Portal handheld is already sold out in many places. Uh, I'm just reading the highlights from their article. The PlayStation Portal has already sold out in many places around the world, showing strong demand and potential for commercial success. The pre-order period for the handheld started in late September and quickly sold out, including in Japan and Amazon in the U.S., and the limited pre-order volume makes it difficult to gauge exact sales figures, but the potential customer pool is large, suggesting the handhold could hit a million sales soon after its release. All right, so Alex and Yield, I pretty much know your opinions on the Project Q. Um, Ro, this uh, is kind of targeted to you a little bit because you do cloud gaming. This is essentially what the PlayStation Portal is. Is there really a market for a device that's essentially a glorified remote play device for the PlayStation? I think there is a market for it. I don't know how big the market is for it, but there absolutely is a market for it. There's a market for everything, right? And that's, you know, the line coming from a marketer, right? There's a market for everything. How large is that market? How dense is that market? How much can you tap that market? I don't know. Personally, is it for me? No, I don't want just a remote play device. I, in 
every room that matters in my home, I have a TV and a system or two connected to it. So I don't need remote play and I don't need something that's remote play only. What I need is for when I travel, the thing that will let me play my games while I travel. That's what I need. Fair enough. All right, we're moving on because there's really unless Alex or Yield, you want to say the something about the project is that You talked about it sold out one. We don't know how many units were shipped out to each store, so that could be an impressive thing. It could not be an impressive thing. Uh, in our pre-show chat, Ro mentioned how some companies can kind of basically intend to sell out to uh, send less stock out to make sure they sell out to have a pretty headline that entices people to be go out and buy it or to drum up interest. Or, you know, fan the flames, essentially. But the real tell of how thing, successful this thing is going to be is going to be Sony and how they release the sales numbers because you haven't heard much about the PSVR 2 lately. And if that thing was doing really well, Sony would be crowing about it. So we'll, we'll be able to know how well it's doing based on if Sony announces exact numbers. Because they're more than happy to tell you about the PlayStation 2 and how its lifetime sales. But when these companies don't actually talk about it, that's when you know they're not really happy with it. And it's also worth noting that I just went to PlayStation Direct and uh, it's still under for pre-order and stock, so. They might just be talking about retailers. Uh, Yield, I'm assuming you have nothing to say about you this, right? You would be correct. <laughs> I, how? I know you so well. Well, actually, I, I did, but it's negative and we're two hours in and no, I have nothing to say. Okay. At this time, I'm going to throw it across the pond to Sid. And uh, he's got this week's Sophie's Trophy. Hello again, everybody. I'm back with another Sophie's Trophy. So we're going to get straight into this one. It is a deceptively tricky platinum. Um, it is called a frog game. And there are 13 trophies. So technically, if it wasn't such a pain in the arse, you could do it really quickly. But I'll get into that. Okay. So the game itself, you play a frog... Um, you press X to jump, you press X to stick out your tongue and eat a fly. Um, there is somebody else competing against you, and you have to eat flies for points. A fly is worth 10 points. Um, if you catch a big fat fly, that one will double your score for a few seconds. There is also a camera fly, or a clock fly, sorry, um, and that one will give you more time because there is a countdown and then there are the normal flies um and also uh i did forget about this guy sorry there is a what do they call it a rotten fly so if you eat the rotten fly your frog will not be able to jump for about five seconds and the rules are simple you press jump it will jump from one side to the other so from one lily pad to the other lily pad uh, you catch a fly, you get points. If you don't catch a fly, you lose 10 points each time you jump. And that's it, really. Um, so, given that, you'd think, simple. But it's not quite that simple. So, we'll go through the trophies, and I will explain. We have victory. All trophies completed. Then we have trophies for reaching 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. So that's your points. Okay. The problem with that is, guys, you need to really, really fluke how many time extension fly things you get. Um, because if you don't get them, your time will tick away. There is a two-player, 
and there are no time extensions on the two-player, so you can't even cheese it that way, unfortunately. And bear in mind, there is a blue frog that's doing the same thing you are, no matter what mode you play. So, it's a pain in the ass. So, here we go. Somewhat sickly. Catch five sick flies in one game. That's what they're called. They're not rotten flies, they're sick flies. And then we have the patient. Catch ten sick flies in one game. So, only go for that one, guys, if you are actually after catching those and not reaching the 6,000 points. Then we have the rookie. Play a frog game ten times in single player mode. Then we have the gamer. Play a frog game 25 times in single player mode. Time extension. Get five time extensions in one game. And then timeless. Get 10 time extensions in one game. So for that trophy and the 6,000 points trophy or any of the points trophies, you know, above 2,000, you really need to get fluky with things like that. Um, so it is very RNG based. Um, other than that, it would be an easy game. So a five minute game is probably going to be at least three, four, five hours if you were to go for it, I think. But it's all right. It cost me 30p. Can't go wrong with that, I suppose. I may get it done one day. You never know. Um, but yeah, that is a frog game. Very, very simple. Um, it's it's all right. It looks okay. But the uh, tagline for this game, guys, before I go, is called In this game, you just must catch flies. So, good English. I'll leave you with that one, guys. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Alright, thank you, Sid, for this week's Sophie's Trophies. Thank you. It's always good to hear from Sid. Uh, we do have some uh, questions from the Facebook, as I should be prepared with this. And I was, but then I put my phone down because I was texting people because people were yelling at me because I was going long. So now I got to bring it back up real quick. Uh, give me like two seconds as I vamp, I vamp, I vamp, I vamp. Okay, two questions. Uh, thank you again, V, for posting in the Facebook group. Uh, first question from Rick. What single game or game series needs a Monopoly set? And what would be some of the spots on the board or community chess? Uh, slash chance card descriptions. Uh, obviously, you know, just going to take a little thought. So I'm going to say uh, I'd like to see a Last of Us Monopoly set. I think that would be pretty interesting. Could you have enough locations on there to fill uh, out the map? I'm sure you could. I, I the, Obviously, the uh, for lack of a better term, is the pandemic is worldwide. I got some, well... I, I got some answers uh, for you. Okay. Well, I'll go to you to give uh, Row and yield some time because I can see Row's deep in uh, thought right now. I think now. you could do a Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West one. I mean, one of my ideas is instead of locations, you could have the machines be the spot you buy on the board. Um, although, again, that may not work because then you're trying to think, turn things into hotels and stuff like that. So it's got to be property. So on the, you know, you could have little like um, pieces for the, you could have the different machines be the pieces, but maybe that wouldn't work out so well. Um what would be a better idea, though, uh, would be Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Because you can do all the temples, you can do the different villages, Kakariko, you could do, you know, the Goron City, the Zora's Domain, you know, maybe be a little weird building hotels and houses there. But, you know, if there are properties there, you can still do that. And then you could have all the, like, the little pieces, like, 
you know, Ganondorf, the the Owl. You could have Impa. You could have Zelda. You could have Link. Maybe have some of the bosses um, besides Ganon. So yeah, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time would be uh, probably my top pick. Although also in the vein of the the thing I just talked about with uh, Horizon, having a, a punch out board with all the different boxers be the spaces. Again, we're dealing with properties, so they gotta be locations. So that wouldn't work well, but. It would be a cool idea so I could work it out. But yeah, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is my main answer. Gil, do you need more time or you got an answer? No, I really don't have an answer. I'm not really good with these types of questions. And I really don't know. I really feel that the Monopoly thing has been uh, done in too much. Okay. Uh, Ro, do you have an answer? No, I don't have a solid good one just because I'm I'm trying to think of like what games haven't had, you know, even if it wasn't like for purchase, a Monopoly game that was made or, you know, mocked up and there's really not a lot. When in doubt, just say Bloodborne. So many you'll get all the PlayStation fanboys I going. Give you. Say Bloodborne. <laughs> I could give you an answer ready? that proves I'm just, not a Sony pony. Just just like it's not even about Sony pony or not. Like no, no. I said, I said I could give you an answer that that proves I'm not a Sony pony. Okay, go ahead. Starfield. He, All the places could be the different planets. You know, so I mean, any anything that has like a lot wah, of worlds. Wah, but thank you for wah. that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for pandering to me. I do appreciate it. <laughs> it is recognized and noted, uh, especially as how much you tell me you hate Microsoft often. Um, I do appreciate that. But, I'm just but he likes them like, on Facebook. <laughs> We like all the things. I have all the systems. I play all the games that I want to. Uh, but I was just trying to think, like, for me, what would be, like, an enjoyable Monopoly experience? Because, like, I, I agree with you. Like, the Monopoly thing has been, like, overdone. Like, I can make a Monopoly board based off my family right now if I want to as a one-off. <laughs> like, just, like, custom Oreos. But I I think, like, one that I would enjoy having outside of a last of us one which i would because that would just be great and i could you know put my ellie statue right next to it and just mm, place it perfectly oh a fellow last of us fan i like this yeah yeah um uh i'm a naughty dog fan big time um i i would actually like love an uncharted monopoly game i think that there's so many places that's a good one too like and you could it would lend itself well and instead of like houses it would be like treasures that you would be like putting onto places i think that that would be really cool and like a really cool set piece to have so oh and hey with the punch out you could buy like world title belts like boxing belts to put on all the boxers instead of houses let me down a good road there ro good thank job you. thank you no problem. all right uh next question come from jeremy out of the great releases slated for october which of them are you all buying if you could only get one, which one are you choosing? So I Googled video game releases for this month, and I'm going to run through the list real quick so you guys are aware of what's coming out this month if you're not aware. Uh, Total War Pharaoh, Disgaea 7, Warhammer 40,000 Darktide, Wargroove 2, Assassin's Creed Mirage, Detective Pikachu Returns, Roblox, Wildcard Football, Forza Motorsport, Honky, Star Rail, Lords of the Fallen, Sonic Superstars, Wizards of the Gun. <laughs> he said Somebody's laughing. Star Rail. Honkai Star Rail. 
There you go. Sonic Superstars, Wizard with a Gun, Endless Dungeon, Gargoyles Remastered, Spider-Man 2, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, Lord of the Rings Return to Mora, City Skylines 2, Just Dance 2024, Metal Gear Solid uh, Master Collection Volume 1, Ghost Runner 2, Minico's Night Market, Dave the Diver, which is come. Uh, I think Jeff Hanna was yeah, talking about that game. Alan Wake 2. Yeah, but he's playing on his mobile. Uh, Alan Wake 2 and UFC 5. Yield, I'll go to you first. Uh, none of them. Easy enough. Bro. Uh, I've already bought Mirage. Uh, so I'll say Alan Wake 2, even though I won't play it because it's my scaredy poof. And it probably sucks. Ouch. I, I hated the first Alan Wake, but that's just personally me. Yeah, but again, you're going to play oh. now one built specifically for the PlayStation 5 and modern consoles. It's not a uh, remastered game, so uh, you may like it a little better. If the mechanics and everything, if the movement is better. You, you, you've said that, and I'll just wait for it to hit PlayStation Plus, and My then maybe I'll try it. Too. Uh, and I will say that I really hope they take the coffee thermoses collectibles out, because, or at least less of them, because I don't need to be collecting 100 coffee thermoses. The, the story pages, the narrative pages... Those make sense. But the coffee thermoses, man, having him drink that much coffee, he's going to be jacked up and pissing for weeks. Uh, and my answers are Assassin's Creed Mirage, which I already have. Roblox, because that's going to make Sweet Mama D happy. Uh, I've already gotten Spider-Man 2 Collector's Edition on its way. I've already purchased the Metal Gear Solid Collection. And that's it for me. I might get Super Mario Brothers Wonder, but I don't know, I'm kind of Mario Brothered out. So that's fair. I might... Might skip on that one for the last quite a while. Game until they, uh, I played Odyssey to completion, and then I bought two of them back-to-back. I bought Super Mario Brothers U and uh, Bowser's Fury. Right, so more than I thought you did. Yeah. Uh, but those are my answers. All right. Uh, we're going to go to our topic of the week. I'm trying to get... Uh, Done with the show because we were running along. Uh, for the record, as I stated at the beginning of the show, Roe is pretty much going to be quiet during this one because uh, she's... I have no official opinion on the matter. Yes. Uh, if Roe can chime in on something, she will, but she's not going to actually be talking about the topic directly. Uh, coming from IGN, written by Alex Stedman. SAG after members vote to authorize a video game strike. Members of the Video Game Actors, uh, Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists have voted to authorize a video game strike with a 98.32% of the votes in favor. Per their announcement, 34,687 members can cast ballots representing 27.47% of eligible voters. To be clear, this doesn't mean a video game performers are going on strike, but it does mean that the union negotiators have to go ahead from their members to call one if they feel it necessary when their negotiation with when their negotiations with video game companies, including Activision, Disney, EA, Take Two, Insomniac, and WB Games, resumes tomorrow. This was posted on the twenty fifth of September. Uh, the vote. The board voted unanimously to send a strike authorization to vote members back on September 1st. In a statement from the president, uh, Fran Drescher, yes, the nanny, 
said it's time for video game companies to, quote, stop playing with games and get serious about reaching an agreement on this contract, end quote. Uh, another quote, the... The result of this vote shows our membership understands the existential nature of these negotiations and that it is time for now these companies, which are making billions of dollars and paying their CEOs lavishly, to give our performers an agreement that keeps performing in video games as a viable career, end quote. Um, so before we actually go into the... Uh, uh, the actual comments and that we have about this, I did put a second article on here that I'm just quickly going to uh, bring up as an example. This is also coming from IGN, written by Ryan Stinsdale. Uh, Metal Gear Solid voice actress Jennifer Hill says she was paid $1,200 for her Naomi Hunter role. Uh, just for clarification, this was saying, uh, Hell was recorded as saying in a 2011 New Yorker article that Metal Gear Solid made $270 million, uh, though said on the perfect, uh, My Perfect Console podcast released uh, this year on October 3rd, the figure I heard was actually $176 million. While the exact profit is unclear, the original Metal Gear Solid sold more than 7 million copies and is considered a monumental success that spawned a franchise that is still going 25 years later. She said that she uh, one of the things she wants is her desire for video game developers actors to earn residuals. Um, if you don't know what residuals is, that's basically saying you paid us for our work, but if the game or the movie or the property sells a certain amount, that they should be uh, sharing in the profits after a certain point. Uh, just for you know, example, if a, if a video game uh, sells 100 million copies, every copy after that, each person, voice actor or something like that, should be paid a percentage of the sales because they're actually making more money now. Um, Yield, I'll go to you first and ask your thoughts on the possibility of a strike and your thoughts on Jennifer Hill only making $1,200 for her role in such a landmark game. Well, for that was over 10 years ago, so you're kind of comparing apples to oranges. It was, it was 25 years ago. Yeah, we get the okay. game came out in 1998. <laughs> well, I thought I thought you said okay. E- either way, so you that to me is is a mute point. Um, as for strike, you want to go on strike, go on strike. I, I I really don't care because I don't make the type of money that they make, and I don't get the raises that they get. So I could care less. You want to go on strike, go on strike. You think you're getting paid unfair? Whatever. That's just how I feel about it. All right, Alex. Uh, as far as the, the Jennifer Hale thing, I mean, it is when you look at the – you think about the amount of money that's spent on video games to make video games and you see that number, you think, yo, man, that's a little low. But then again, we're not thinking back in 1998 when she did the role, when she did the voice work. So again, 25 years ago, it's a, it's a lifetime ago. Um but uh, so it's kind of hard to, to judge really how fairly she was paid, unless you know doing more research into you know what was you know livable wage back then and all that, and how much work she put in or how long she was there, how many hours she worked. Um, but as far as the the strike thing, look, I mean, yeah, if you think you're paid unfairly, and especially coming off the heels of the the writer strike, which just ended, um, something like this could always pop up because even like you know. I've heard in the past, like, wrestlers, independent contractors are covered by the Screen Actors Guild Award, and then 
you think that how many people were involved in video game voice work? I mean, we talked about Idris Elba earlier. Um, was um, so it's bound to happen. Um, people, you know, like I said, they if they that's why one of the guys in the um, I can't remember his name, but the the person who was um, working for Telltale talking about unionizing um, it allows people to fight more effectively against you know a workplace where they feel like they're not being compensated or treated fairly um but yeah i mean like something like this doesn't surprise me that it's happening now i don't work in history i don't know what the pay is i don't know how much people are getting paid i assume it varies from project to project from person to person Uh, but in general i don't really have a lot of um comments to make as far as like you know villainizing them or you know saying that oh yeah they don't get paid enough or saying they do get paid enough I, I don't really know how much they get paid um obviously they think they need to get paid more and you know that's why the, there's the potential there's not a strike and they haven't called one but there's the potential for one um but it just goes to show also that you know we talk about video games as a more modern form of art now and the amount of um money that goes into hiring people to work for you not just the developers and the coders and the sound team but the people who, you know, play a huge role in, in creating the characters and bringing the world to life, the actors, the, the mocap actors, the, the people just like that, cost a lot of money. So, yeah, you're definitely going to have to pay up, and this is just kind of one of those scenarios where it shows that how expensive game making is these days when you have a strike like this touching on the video game landscape. All right. I'm going to qualify my statement at... It's going to come out really shitty sounding, but I promise you that's not as bad as I'm going to make it sound in the start. I really don't give a shit that Jennifer Hale was only paid $1,200 for her role in for Naomi Hunter. It, it, my attitude has always been that you signed a contract to get paid this amount of money. Now, because you see it was successful, you want more money? Well, if the game bombed, are you going to give back some of that well, money? I mean, yeah, like residuals are a thing. They were a if thing it, before this game came out in 1998. But I, but you have to put that in the original contract, and you can't just come back, you know. Well, that's, that's my point, is that if, if the game does well, which it did, and, you know, are you going to turn around and are you, you want more money because the game did well, but if the game does shit and bombs... Are, are you going to get back some of that money and say, okay, listen, uh, you pay me too much for the role? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to keep your money and you're going to go. She signed a contract. She got paid her money. Good for her. Now, with that all being said, I think there is an argument to say that if a game does so well, and especially like now where they are remastering the game, and or not remastering it, but re-releasing the game and coming out, I do believe you should be paid for your work because now it's gone onto a different property. If I took, you know, I have the the rights to use our intro and outro music from, I have written permission from the band and whatnot, but I have the permission to use that on the podcast. I think I can't just turn around and use that in another form and, and say that I'm fine. You know, there has to be compensation somewhere. Jennifer Hale, I get what she's saying that, you know, she was paid a little bit, as Alex pointed out, that was 25 years ago. That may have been a justifiable rate at that time. I can't speak to that because I don't know what 
voice actors are getting paid. And it's only within, I say, the last maybe five to ten years that we started really knowing the voice actors behind the games. Nolan North became a, a household name. Troy Baker became a household name. These are people that, you know, they, they do a lot of work and they're paid for, because they know what they're doing and they're good at what they're doing. There's a lot. The, one of the characters in The Division, um, Aaron Keener, I am absolutely convinced that it's Troy Baker doing the voice. But if you look up on any IMDb or in the credits, there's no voice actor listed. And I can't prove it, whatnot. Listen, if the ga- if a game does extremely well, or it's getting re-released or remastered or whatever the case may be, I do believe some sort of payment should go to the original actor because now their vo- their their voice and their likeness or their mocap is being used in a different property, even though it's the same title, the same game, it's still being used separately from the original release of what the contract was. I, I I believe there should be some kind of compensation, but as far as her only getting paid $1,200 in 1998, I'm sorry, I have no sympathy for that. You signed the contract, you do what you were getting paid, you agreed to do the job, that's where it stands. You can't then turn around and say, well, oh, the game sold 7 million copies, pay well, me yeah, more. The, the contract may have been built that where they doesn't give the options like, hey... You um, can get this much money up front, a guarantee, or you can get so much paid per sale of the game. And maybe that person chose an upfront, you know, payment. And it's like, I'm not going to risk this game not, you know, being good or it's selling well. So I'm just going to take the upfront money. And then you see, oh, all these years later, it sold a lot of money. And I would have made more money by going with DLB. Yeah. One of the things I heard, uh, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., in the later movies, Marvel movies, you know, he signed on for, I think it was a 10-picture deal, something like that. He made a cameo in, uh, which basically made, he made an 11th appearance, and he told the studio, he said, uh, you know, pay me $2 million, and then give me a percentage of the sales after this. And that's how he got paid. And he did that, he said he did that to save the studio some money, because obviously, you know, RDJ at that time was very... Uh, expensive actor but if that's in your contract and you deserve the residuals get them but i don't know how i feel about jennifer hale now as far as the strike goes i'm kind of with yield if you feel like you're not getting paid or you're you're you know one of the things they're talking about and i think we even talked about it on the show before it was like uh company game companies using ai to do somebody's voice or whatnot Fight what you got. Fight for what you want. I'm in a union. Like I, I'm never gonna say, "Hey, the union should not be fighting for their workers." But I will say, you also have to understand that if you're going down this path, there is another simple solution, and them just turn around and saying, "Well, we don't need you anymore. We're gonna go hire Joe Blow off the street that could do not as great as a job, but we could pay him." 25% of what your asking rate is. So that it is what it is. All right. Before I close out the show, Ro, I know I said, I, you know, you were going to speak before I close out the show. I just want to give you the opportunity. If you do want to say something to say it before, because I don't want completely seriously you or censor you or anything like that. I appreciate that so much. I don't have a comment at this time, but thank you. Okay. With that being said, let's close out the show and do some shout outs. Yield. We'll start with you, sir. 
Uh, shout out to Roe for coming on this evening. Uh, shout out to Tricky and Alex for recording. Shout out to everybody who was hanging out in the chat tonight. And as always, shout out to all the pimps and madams of the whoredom. And a uh, shout out to my wife and sister-in-law who had birthdays this past week. Alex, your shout out, sir. Well, I want to give a shout out first and foremost to the listeners, our wonderful community, the fuel to the fire of this trophy horse. Uh, without them, this podcast would not be uh, – well, we wouldn't be at 592. We wouldn't be approaching 600. It probably would have – it would have died off a long time ago. So really uh, – hold on. Sorry. They're, uh, Ashley is closing the garage door because she's going to pick up one of the kids from work. So it's noisy. <laughs> Sorry, the room is right above our garage. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the community is really what's driven us—the gasoline in this engine, um, and they're <coughs> what, pushed, what has pushed us forward. So, as we approach a landmark episode of 600, we can look back and, and first and foremost, thank them for all the support they've given us over the years and the continued support they give us um, to really to really drive us. Give a shout out to Yield and to Tricky, as well as to Matt, who could not be here this evening. But of course, the the uh, biggest shout out on the panel has to go to Row been a bit since we've had Ro on, um, but uh, first of all, congratulations on the launch of Starfield uh, and everything there. Uh, it's wonderful to see that game be so successful, especially um, after the the hard work uh, that the team put in, including yourself. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on, because two, two and a half hours is a lot of free time to give up on a Sunday night. Well, I just want to shout out all y'all. I always appreciate the invitation uh, to run my mouth on on the stuff that I am so passionate about and to have such a great conversation with y'all is really, really uh, a joy for me. Truly, it is. Um, And I am just so thrilled and so, so excited for y'all to be creeping up on 600. It's a magical thing when you can get there. It's dedication. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of community building. And you guys have a great community. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of it, to be part of the celebration. Yay, 600 heart, y'all. Well, tricky. And I want to give a shout out. Oh, I I, no, I thought I was hoping to get you in the doghouse by not letting you but well, she ahead. shut the door the, the the garage door while we were podcasting so uh, uh, but I, I mean she's got to, she's got to get the car out but um last but not least uh, shout out to my loving and awesome girlfriend Ashley uh, I love you hun um tricky I believe you have some shout outs as well yes I want to give a shout out to sweet mama D shout out to the goddess shout out to everybody <clears throat> that joined us in the chat uh matt g who obviously couldn't be here but still joined us in the chat we got caneless we got v uh jt popped in here a little bit uh saber showed up um just going through and i think that's it there's some other people that never say anything like the dark knight 82 i see you sir i see you lurking you could say something say hi dex obviously and Roe is in the chat as well good to see somebody else on the show Watching the Twitch you know, chat other love, than me. Well, usually Matt does it, but I love that we're it's October. We're using words like creeping up on 600 and lurking in the chat. It's make it sound kind of devious, demonic, lurking, creeping. <laughs> uh, but yeah, shout out to everybody. Uh, 600 episodes. I, I'm not trying to tout my ego, but that is a monumental show. Like that's ba- yeah, that's 12 years of podcasting, and that's uh, well. You guys have only oh. done 500 episodes. I've done 600. Just to, well, actually, you you did 550, right? I don't know, something like that. 
I'm joking. Obviously, I I love my brothers. Uh, I I consider them family, even though you know brothers fight and they come time aggravate me, and I aggravate Yield to the point where he mutes me on PlayStation chat. But I still love him. Uh, Six hundred episodes. It's nothing to shake a stick at. We've doing this that marks twelve years of podcasting, which is insane in this world. Uh, I can't believe we're doing this 12 years, but it's the community, which is obviously drives us, uh, keeps us going. Uh, every time I turn around, like I feel like, you know, somebody else is joining and getting involved and, uh, I'm glad grateful for everybody. Uh, so unless there's nothing else until next week, happy trophy hunting. Later. Bye. song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash Even Philippines.